get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Deep in the distance, it's Las Vegas. Everyone's sight set. Welcome to the 104th season of the National Football League. 6 Mahomes throws the cross. It is intercepted on the deflection. Brian Branch, the rookie, ties the game with his first NFL touchdown. Mahomes, plenty of time, looking in the middle. It's dropped again by Tony, who has had a really poor night. You know, when you have a bad night, no matter what it is, Sometimes it can build on itself. The stuff's not always going to go your way. Obviously, um, he would have wanted to catch a few of those in the game, but I've trusted that he's going to be that guy that I go to in those crucial moments, and he's going to make the catch and, 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 and win us some seasons like he did last year. So we're going to continue to work him in, get him more and more reps, um, and I'm sure that, that those drops will kind of disappear. All right, go ahead and get your text in. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. T-Bone already got his shots in last night. Lions, Lions, Alex was sending me all the texts. I was getting texts left and right from people I haven't heard from in months, much less weeks. Uh, Yeah, the Chiefs lost last night. It was a super disappointing result for your boy BK. Lost, they got shellacked last night. I'm through the crying. I... Ate all of my ice cream on the couch last night. Oh, what flavor did you have? I had the Rocky Road. Oh, that's a good choice. It was. Uh, it helped me yeah. settle my emotions. It's me through sad times too. Baby boy did not love the fact that his first Chiefs game was a loss at home as they were raising yeah. the banners. And T Bone, I think next year we'll be able to have the exact same experience. Not the loss part of it, but the banner raising part of it. I'm not worried about this. I think people are overreacting to what we saw last night. By the way, that audio was courtesy of NBC. That was the worst game I think I've ever seen from two wide receivers. Sky Moore, if you have him on your fantasy team, drop him. He he doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I'd like to make an announcement for the 101 ESPN League. I have Sky Moore. He's on the trading block after last night's yeah, efforts. T-Bone tried to trade him to me for Christian Kirk. I, I thought like, it was a he's fair like, deal. Hey, by the way, I want to let you guys know, Sky Moore is now on the block. I said, okay, what do you want for him? He said, Christian Kirk. I said, I drafted well, okay. Christian Kirk like 30 spots in front of to be Sky fair, Moore. Why would I do that? I was fully prepared to move on until the most optimistic Chiefs <laughs> fan I know goes, don't give up yet. And then I went, okay, his asking price just went up. Yeah, well, uh, him and Kadarius Tony were targeted a combined eight times last night. Eight targets. I think like six of them were catchable. Do you know what they combined for in terms of yards? Forget the catches. Yards. How many yards do you think Tony and Sky Moore combined for through the air last night? I'm going to say like 14 because I know Sky Moore ended up with like a point. 
Maybe. I'll go generous with 25. One. One yard combined on one catch out of the eight targets for those two gentlemen. Both of them had an opportunity late in that game to put the Chiefs into field goal range, and both of them failed spectacularly. The big question that people are asking today, and you guys probably know where I stand on this. Obviously, I think the Chiefs are still winning the Super Bowl because they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey eventually. Chris Jones is going to come back. T-Bone, do you think this is a potential fatal flaw, though, where the Chiefs wide receivers last year were a weakness, but they had Juju there and he was able to settle some things down? Is the Chiefs wide receiver core this year so bad, so inexperienced that it will actually be a fatal flaw this year in what is obviously an excellent AFC? I want to say no, because I think this was just week one kind of, I don't even know if you can call it jitters because those guys have experience. I think this was just kind of a weird week one. Weird-ish happens. said this for a long time in the baseball season became before it actually became ish. Um, but weird-ish happens in the first handful of weeks. I do think that this could be a flaw in terms of them getting to the Super Bowl, but like I don't think it's, I think they're still a top three team in the AFC. But everything will calm down once Travis Kelsey's in the lineup. Kelsey's in the lineup last night. They probably win that game by 10 points. I, so I totally agree. I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned by the Kansas city chiefs in those drops. I think that was just kind of week one. Weird things kind of happen. And I think things will settle down for Casey going into next week's game against Jackson. And I was hoping you guys would overreact to this. I really was. Oh, if you would have guys... told me that I could have done like the full like opposite. <laughs> Grant, you're not worried. And uh, not really. The only way I'd be worried is if Travis Kelsey was out long term and he's not right. going to be at this point. Um, it, he was questionable for last night up until what? A few hours before the game. So he should be back for week two unless he has a setback. And once you have Kelsey back, it feels like everything falls back into place. You don't have to rely on the other receivers as main targets over Kelsey because he will still get the most targets out of anybody on the team. Just how it goes. And that's going to take the pressure off of the receivers around him. So, no, I'm not super concerned. The only way I'd be concerned is if Travis Kelsey does have that setback and he is out for an extended amount of time. I do think the Chiefs messed up this offseason by not adding a veteran wide receiver. I think they, we said it all along. They should have had added DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. He was available. You could have gone out there and got him. Unfortunately for them, they didn't have the cap space to do it. Like they had to re-sign Chris Jones long-term in order to make the DeAndre Hopkins contract work. They still have not done that. And we just watched Chris Jones sitting up in a press or in the, uh, the suite last night as the chiefs got their rings. So they couldn't have done it because of that. But that's what they should have done in the offseason. If this continues to be an issue, this is one of the other reasons why I'm not overly concerned. I think eventually they'll just make a trade for a wide receiver like Mike Evans. Why is he on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now? There's no reason. They stink. They're going to be terrible this season. They've got Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback. T-Bone, you've lived that life. Mm. It ain't a fun life to live. No. So I would imagine at some point Mike Evans will be made available by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if and when that happens, if the Chiefs are still struggling this way, he's probably going to be a Chief by week nine or something like that. So I'm not overly concerned about this. I'm not going to come on here and overreact. Yes, I see all of your texts. I did the exact same thing with the Cardinals because this is what I do when I think that the team is going to be pretty good. The difference, of course, between the Cardinals and the Chiefs is that the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes and the Cardinals didn't have a number one starter. And that was always the big question mark about their team. If this sustains... If week two, three, and four, we see the exact same types of performances out of Kadarius Tony specifically, then I will start to become more concerned because of how deep the AFC is around them. 
I just don't expect Kadarius Tony to become a shell of himself suddenly. I think last night will eventually be seen as the outlier for him. Sky Moore is legitimately concerning. I think they should give Rasheed Rice more opportunities ahead of Sky Moore. Sky Moore looks like Tutu Atwell out there. He's tiny running around. He looks not impressive. really bad. Um, I was excited about him with the Chiefs. He looks horrible. Last night, for him to not have a big game with uh, Travis Kelsey out, that was... If you want to be concerned about anybody, it's Sky Moore. The Chiefs overall, I think, are going to be fine. On the other side of things, because I don't want to shortchange what we saw last night, that's a huge win for Detroit, man. That's one of the biggest wins that they've had in a really long time. I saw this stat last night. The Lions have won a total, T-Bone, of 22 games on the road against a team that ended up making the playoffs since 1970. Wow. In the last 50 years, this team has won 22 games on the road against a playoff team. So, yeah, let's give them their flowers last night. I don't care that Travis Kelsey was out. I don't care that Chris Jones was out. I don't care that Charles Aminihue was out. I do not care about any of that. You find a way to win the game against the team that is on the opposite side of you. Patrick Mahomes still played. We all said yesterday, don't care that Travis Kelsey's out. Don't care that Chris Jones is out. I expect the Chiefs to win this one. And guess what? The Lions found a way. That is exactly the type of game that the previous iteration of the Lions find a way to lose. Dan Campbell was talking after the game last night about his uh, knee biters. Here's what he had to say about what he learned about his team. I didn't learn anything. I got verification on what I already knew. And this is a resilient team. Uh, it already was a resilient team, and we added pieces to that resilient team. So um, we're built to handle some some stuff, and uh, and we did that today against a very good opponent. thing that impressed me the most about them was their defense, actually. I know the Chiefs were without Kelsey, and that is a huge caveat, but they had some really nice defensive plays by their secondary. And that is a revamped secondary with C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who played really well last year for the Eagles, but punches teammates and always ends up overstaying his welcome after like a year. And Brian Branch was awesome. Forget the, the, the touchdown, which is a huge, let's set that aside. Look over here. That guy was great. He was awesome at Alabama, and he went underdrafted, in my opinion. They were able to get him, I think, in the second round of last year's draft. Looked excellent for a first-year player. So I think if the Lions can put anything from that game on a pedestal, it's their defense. Their defense was really impressive. Their offense only scored 14 points. Defense helped them win that game. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the defense looked pretty good for the Detroit Lions. The offense was the part that I just kind of walked away from going, you know, kind of like the Chiefs, not sure you really learned a whole lot from that offense last night. It's clear they are going to be a team that, just like the Chiefs, where it is, hey, we really need our top guy and Travis Kelsey back. The Lions really need Jameson Williamson back already in week six when his suspension is over because it's clear the offense just wasn't the same. But I'm kind of with you. I thought the defense was solid for the Detroit Lions last night. They did a good job in the secondary, which was kind of their big flaw last year. And it's why I kind of thought this game could be a shootout. I just wasn't sure how ready that team would be. And they got great contribution from all their rookies. So the Detroit Lions are a team that I think kind of came out last night. But the thing is, is like I say that because they're in the NFC. If they were an AFC team, sure. I wouldn't be talking about the Detroit Lions as high as we are today and saying that they're they're a contender in their conference right now. I do think we need to start evaluating them kind of similar to how we did last year with like what we're doing this year with the Jaguars, where if they end up struggling at times this year, we're going to look at them and it's not just this cute little story anymore. No, we're going to evaluate them like a real contender. 
And that's what we should be doing with the Lions because they're viewed that way this year. They're the favorite to win the NFC North. Been a while since we've been able to say that. And with that view of the Lions, their offense was super underwhelming last night. That O-line is awesome. Their O-line is amazing. And they're going to win games because of that offensive line. And because David Montgomery, who was not very good last night and looked pretty slow, he's going to be a grinder for them. That's going to be the role that they utilize him. They have got to get Jameer Kibbs more involved, though. That dude is electric, man. Every time he touched the ball as a Chiefs fan, I was like, oh, boy. Get him to the ground as quickly as you possibly can, because if he gets into space, this is going to be a problem. It reminded me of watching Alvin Kamara early in Kamara's career. We we're like, whoa, this he just runs differently than everybody else on the football field when he's got the ball in his hands. They're missing a number two wide receiver. We said that yesterday. I think the Chiefs, much like the Lions, are in similar spots. Get yourselves to the middle of the season. Get through October and then find out where your team's at and add at the deadline if you need to. I think the Lions are going to need to either add a wide receiver or hope like hell that Jamison Williams is ready to go and up to full speed whenever he comes back from the suspension. But that's the scary thing about the Lions and the NFC, if you look at it like that, is with Jamison Williams out, he comes back after six weeks. You add another piece into that. You have you know a few more weeks with Jameer Gibbs. You figure out his role a little yep. bit better, and you utilize him in a better way. All of a sudden, you're talking about a team that's firing at all cylinders. And I remember listening to uh, the Fastlane the other day when they were interviewing uh, someone in Detroit sports who works in radio up there talking about how, you know, the, the big concern for the Lions would be their rush defense. They improved their secondary, but he was concerned about the rush defense held to the Chiefs as a team last night yeah. to 90 rushing yards as a team. The Chiefs leading rusher was, pa- was Patrick yes. Mahomes yesterday. Yeah. They, they couldn't do anything on the ground. And Aiden Hutchinson, we should give him his, his props for last night as well. That dude was dominant. He looked the part of a number one pick. I know he didn't go number one in that draft because of the Jaguars making a silly mistake, but Hutchinson was awesome last night. He wrecked the Chiefs offense at times, and he made it difficult on Patrick Mahomes as well. So, uh, yeah, credit to them. Credit to that defense for finding a way to get through that game. They deserve all the credit in the world. We said yesterday we didn't see it coming, even with Kelsey and Chris Jones out. So when we were proven wrong, we got to give the team that ended up finding a way to get it done their proper credit. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're continuing with some NFL conversation. Joe Burrow just became the highest paid player in the history of the NFL, and it was just announced a little bit ago that he is going to be starting on Sunday. We'll give you our thoughts on his contract extension. That is coming up in 15 minutes. You guys can get involved in the show at 314-399-9646 and on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. We've got a chat going over there. You guys can get involved there. But coming up next... I think the offense that we saw yesterday might be the best I've ever seen. And I'm not talking about the one for the Cardinals. We'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ronald Acuna strolling to the plate to lead things off for Atlanta in the home half of the first inning. And on the mound, Adam Wainwright gets the baseball. He gets greeted rudely by Ronald Acuna Jr. It is gone! One pitch, and Atlanta has the lead! This ball left center field, is that going to go? Hey, guess what, Edmund? You're not getting that one. Homers in four straight games for Matt Olson, and Atlanta is back in front. In the air, deep right, 
That baby ain't coming back. Michael Harris, reservation for one at the chop house. Ronald Acuna, right center field. Gone. Second of the night for Ronald. The Braves have 10 homers in this series, and they're all solo shots. Alongside Tanner and Grant, I'm BK. That audio courtesy of the Braves TV network as their offense, T-Bone, is just, it's something to marvel at with what they've been able to accomplish this season. As you're looking at what they're doing right now, I think there's a real case to be made that this is the best offense we've seen, like, ever. And I know that sounds... Like I'm overstating things and I'm doing the hot takey thing where I'm like, ah, the latest thing that we've seen is the greatest thing that we've seen. I really don't think it is. They're on pace to hit as many home runs as we've ever seen by a team. If you go by some of the fancy analytical numbers, they are literally by weighted runs created plus the best offense that we have seen since like the 1926 Yankees, which you may remember were pretty good. Um, This is a team right now that as a squad are hitting 275. The entire team has a slugging percentage of 503. We have never seen a major league baseball team finish a season with a slugging percentage above 500. We've seen it in the Negro leagues. Never has a major league baseball team been able to do that over the course of a full season. You look up and down the lineup, and every single guy is scary. Like one through seven. You get eight, nine, okay, maybe you can talk it like Nicky Lopez. He's not scaring you. But T-Bone, as you watch this team right now, and you think back of the Rolodex of teams that you've seen in the last, I, I know your conscious life is like 15 years. Is this the best that you've seen that you can remember watching? I think so. I, I can't remember a team that's been this dominant one through nine. Maybe that Astros team back when they who was it when they lost to the Nationals in twenty nineteen. That team had a really good lineup one through nine as well. You had like Correa hitting like sixth in that lineup, but and Tucker was kind of up and coming. I can't remember if Alvarez was with that team or not, but I would say outside of that 2019 Astros team, and we know kind of the story behind the Houston Astros organization, but I uh, I think this is the best lineup that I've seen in my lifetime, and I'm willing to, based on the numbers, agree with you and say it's arguably the best lineup maybe ever in Major League Baseball history because you're right, one through nine, really not scary when they've got everybody out there in that lineup. Like uh, Lopez was not supposed to be in the lineup last night. They didn't even have Riley in the game. Um, he was out due to an illness. Uh, so, like, I, I look at the lineup for the Braves. It is terrifying one through nine because, like, they can hit Michael Harris the second, ninth. That guy is hitting 294 <laughs> on the year and has an 804 OP, OPS and is 12% above league average. They are just a scary lineup, and I don't know how somebody can knock them out in the playoffs because of this lineup. Because I typically am one that sides with, hey, you know, good pitching can shut down a lineup. Is good pitching going to be able to shut down a lineup that's nine guys deep? Like, that just seems hard to imagine. All right. I'm going to respond to this text because I'm getting sick of seeing it, honestly. From the 3014. BK, you're a prime example of what's wrong with the St. Louis sports media. Just like the guy on the balloon party said yesterday. Nobody wants to say that Adam Wainwright has been terrible since the middle of last season. You're going to instead come on here and talk about Atlanta being the greatest offense that you've ever seen. Come on, man. What you saw yesterday was Adam Wainwright affecting when he's on the mound, he's going to make every offense look better than they actually are. I was the one that said I'm not even sure I would bring Adam Wainwright back this year. I said I would rather have Charlie Morton than Adam Wainwright. So if you want to come at me, fine. But get your facts straight, dude. 
It has nothing to do with Adam Wainwright. Waino was fine yesterday. He wasn't good, but he was fine. Waino's been bad since August of last year. We raised those concerns going into the playoffs. I was made into some kind of martyr because I said I wouldn't even have him on the playoff roster last year. So, again, get your facts straight, dude. If somebody on this radio station was calling everybody out for being soft and not being able to actually hold these teams accountable, cool. It's easy to do that for an hour. You can do a radio show for three hours a day, five days a week. Let's actually talk about the team. Yes, Adam Wainwright's been bad. We said that earlier in the in the season. I think we can all move on from that now. Wainwright's trying to go for 200. That's cool. If he gets there, we'll talk about it. But last night, the headliner was not that Adam Wainwright was bad. The headliner was that the Braves did against Adam Wainwright what they have done all season long. I find that to be a more compelling conversation, frankly, than saying for the 5,000th time that Adam Wainwright has had an underwhelming and bad season. Yeah, we've cited the numbers. He's having the worst season by a Cardinal starter in the history of the Cardinals organization. It's pretty bad, right? We can all agree with that. I compared it to what Bob Gibson did in his final season, where he actually walked away from the team because he didn't feel like he could compete any longer, and he was relegated to the bullpen at the end of the year. So we don't have to have that conversation anymore. I'm done. What I would rather do is talk about what I think might be, and this is not a hot take because the numbers agree with it, and yeah, I'm a numbers nerd. Cool. No problem. I would rather talk about what is a compelling conversation about what I think might be the best offense we've seen in baseball ever. The numbers agree with that. Now, you could have a different team that you think is up there. That's totally cool. Let's have that conversation. But as we project towards the postseason – Man, I look at the National League, and we thought this was going to be a league that was dominant coming into the season. You looked at it, and it was like, man, the Padres, that is a tough team. They have the best ERA in baseball, and they're a losing team. That That's a riddle that doesn't have an answer. It doesn't make any sense. The Brewers have the pitching, but they don't have the offense. The Phillies, if they put it all together, could be the team that beats the Braves. But I have a hard time finding somebody that can compete with this Braves team because of how dominant the offense is, and they've got the pitching, dude. That's the thing that makes this team scary is they've got a little bit about what the what the Astros used to be, but I think the Braves are even better than what those Astros teams were because I think their lineup at the top is more dominant. That sounds crazy, but go one by one. I think you can make a pretty strong case that this Braves lineup is actually better than what the uh, what the Houston Astros were previously putting out there day to day. Yeah, I, and I agree with you there. I've been running through just to look at some some of like the top arms we view across baseball to see how they've done against this lineup when the Atlanta Braves. Logan Webb, we would agree, he's one of the top arms in baseball, right? He's covered the most innings in baseball, really good ERA, probably going to get some votes for the Cy Young this year. Yeah, in his two outings, he's given up nine earned runs, and he's been able to go six at the most against the Atlanta Braves. Blake Snell, you know I love Blake Snell. Uh, yeah, last time he went up against the Braves, three and two-thirds, six hits, four earned runs. So it's not gone well for him against the Atlanta Braves. They just mash legitimate pitching when you look at that lineup because they are one through nine. And they're so um, – and I can't remember who said this. Somebody said this on the broadcast the other day. They are so good at just waiting for their pitch because they can hit for average, but if you make that one mistake, you hang that one breaking ball, you throw that one fastball that you don't locate, they just absolutely destroy the baseball. So I, I think they are one of the best line, one of the best lineups of all time, if not the best lineup of all time, and I don't know how they lose in the playoffs because you're right. They do have the pitching to pair with it. Now, 
if their starting pitching starts to deplete like Strider and Freed starts to deal with injuries, okay, then we're having a different conversation because I don't think their bullpen's as deep as right. it was a couple years ago. But if they stay healthy, it is. it, it feels like – in years prior where I looked at Mahomes, I was like, who the hell's going to beat them in the AFC? Who the hell's going to beat this Braves team in the uh, National League? Like, as much as people love the Dodgers, I don't trust the Dodgers. That's an old lineup with a pitching staff that's being broken down right now. The Milwaukee Brewers don't have an offense. Maybe the Phillies have a shot because I just looked this up. Nola's been good against the Braves. Zach Wheeler shoved somehow eight shutout innings against them in his last start against them. So maybe that's the team that puts up a fight against them. But I just don't know how. I mean, they even have like a 50-50 split at catcher where Darno plays yeah. basically one-third of the games. And he's still been really good. And Sean Murphy's been legitimately good. So and At the one point, he was an MVP candidate. It's unbelievable how deep they are as a lineup. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. is putting together one of the more compelling seasons that we've seen. And if not for Mookie Betts, who's also putting together an absurd season, would be a runaway favorite to win the MVP this year in the National League. And he's one of three MVP candidates on his own team. I mean, Austin Riley, who plays every single day, the first time that he missed a game was yesterday. And it was because he had the flu or something where he couldn't get, he just couldn't get himself to the ballpark. He couldn't even show up for the team photo. So this is just, uh, the, the lineup's incredible. And if you want to put up like some of those prime Yankees teams, you want to put up the 04 Cardinals, you want to put up like the mid 20s Yankees, whatever it is that you, the, the big red machine, whatever it is that you want to put up there, that's the company that the Braves are keeping. Whether you think they're number one, number five, somewhere on that list, they're in the team photo, in the words of Tony LaRussa. And that's what makes what I think is going to be a really interesting National League postseason because we know how this works. Weird stuff happens in the playoffs. It's why teams say, hey, just get in and we'll see what happens. This is one of those years where it it almost feels like I'm just waiting for the Braves to find a way to get through to the World Series. Like I'm I'm wait it's almost it reminds me of I think it was 2005 USC versus Texas. They were on a collision course for one another to the National Championship game in college football. I feel that way right now with the Braves where it, it feels like it's their destiny to get to this year's World Series and we're just trying to find out who the teams are going to be that are in their path on the way to getting to the World Series. I would say it reminds me a lot of like when you had like the Warriors when they were loaded with the big 3 exactly. with Steph, Clay and uh KD where it was like okay I don't have to watch the playoffs till they run into LeBron in the finals. Like that's what the Braves feel like this year. They just feel like a team of destiny. And the thing that is so exciting about them is it's not like this is just a potential. It could be a one-off, but it's not like you look at this team and go, okay, they've got so-and-so coming off the books, so-and-so coming off the books, or so-and-so is really old. This is a very young team that is all locked up for the long term. Like this could be the beginning of an, the next Braves dynasty, if you even call their 90s around a dynasty, because they didn't, well, they won what, one World Series? So we'll see how this team does, but they kind of have the vibes, and I think even bigger vibes than what the Cubs were. Remember, the Cubs had that young core come up, and it was like, yeah. whoa, look at this team. They could go on and become a dynasty. They, won they are one, what the Cubs thought they were going to be. Yeah, they won one World Series. They never had this deep of a lineup, and they never had it. And, and they, they had didn't kind lock of anybody this up. pitching. That was the biggest yeah. thing is they didn't lock anybody up long term. Whereas the Braves, they saw what they had and they were like, oh, we got to build around this long term. We've got to find a way to keep all of these guys in place. And the Braves guys are just better. Yeah. <laughs> like, Chris Bryan ended up being underwhelming compared to expectations. Ronald Acuna Jr. has exceeded every expectation. You had Kyle Schwarber who like, yeah, he's got the one trick that he's really good at. He's a ton of home runs. 
Imagine if it was that, but Austin Riley, who hits like 280. <laughs> that that's what and is a pretty solid defender over at third, as opposed to Schwarber, who's a below average defender wherever you end up putting him. The better core than what the Cubs were building around, and they're they're going to do it for close to a decade, most likely. And this is what the Cardinals have to go out there and try to beat. Beating easy. that is going to be tough. Ah, Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including the biggest contract in NFL history was given out yesterday in terms of an average annual value. It's going to Joe Burrow. What does that mean for the Cincinnati Bengals, both in the short and the long term? We'll tell you next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It feels a little different when that music hits now, doesn't oh, it? It does. Now it that you're actually good. in the NFL season, alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, Alex out today, but he will be joining us coming up at 12.15 because... It's pick season, boys! Oh, I'm so excited. We're doing things a little different this year for our football pick We had to change up. BK kept losing last year, so we had to adjust the rules for him. Yeah, I complained that, hey, I yeah. can't pick my own games because you guys keep drafting the yeah. games that I want. So instead, I'm going to go 0-3 every week a different way. Yeah. We are going to have a pick where each of us gets three games. We get to pick any NFL or college football game that is played on Saturday or Sunday. We're going against the spread. No point totals, no props, nothing like that. Against the spread. And we will label them on a confidence level. One to three. And you get a one is the lowest, three is the highest. And every month at the end of the month, you will find out who the low man on the group is based on the confidence pool that we have for that month. So if I get, you know, 10 points that month. T-Bone gets 12. Alex gets 17. I'm the one that ends up getting punished as a result of that. So we'll get to our picks coming up at 12:15. I don't know what T-Bones are. I don't know what Alex's are. He's going to call in live from the road as he go. he's going to pick up his girls. So we'll get into that coming up at 12:15. Be sure to stay tuned. I will say I kind of thought I was picking for Alex. I prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a little right, disappointed. Can, he didn't trust we'll throw, me. Hey, we can throw you in there. We now. can throw you in there. I am happy. I don't have to uh, face the punishments, so I'm just happy to be here. Hey, you but... make you make picks. You throw yourself into the pool of hey, potential punishments. I was, I was right. four and two last week, so there you I, go. I just find a way to lose every yeah. single. I mean, we know you should feel kind of safe because BK is like a guaranteed loss, right? Like That's I, a good point. I think you had, what, 10 punishments last year? It wasn't good. It's like playing the Cardinals this year. You just look yeah, at the schedule yeah. and you're like, ah, got it this week. Lost. Expect it to be around, good, and it's yeah. not. Because like their Drew Rom. Ooh, tough. I didn't need that. Oh. Didn't need that at all. All right, let's get into some of the NFL quick hitters, including the biggest 
quarterback contract in the history of the NFL, at least on an average annual value basis. That is what we saw announced last night with Joe Burrow reaching a five-year, $275 million contract extension. This deal includes $219 million guaranteed, making him the highest paid player in NFL history. T-Bone, I heard you say yesterday, but BK, their winning window's not ending. Joe Burrow said he's going to leave some on the table for the wide receivers. Well, he just got $55 million a year. Do you think this changes at all the way that you view the future of the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, there's now a window. <laughs> um, I didn't think there was because I was buying into the all the reports of, you know, he wants to keep the band together and he's going to take a team-friendly deal. And then Joe Cool is just like, bring me the dough. Bring me the dump trucks of money. So, I, uh, yeah, they're officially into a window now because they're not going to be able to maintain all of those pieces offensively because of this massive, massive contract for Joe Burrow. But, hey, he deserves every penny of this. I mean, he is arguably the second-best quarterback in the NFL right behind Patrick Mahomes. He's got a winning record against Patrick Mahomes. So, I... I'm glad they got this deal done. Now they can help plan around it. But yeah, they are officially entering a window because they are not going to be able to keep everybody. And for the Bengals, they had to do this. Like you can't lose your franchise quarterback that just took you to a Super Bowl a couple seasons ago. And, you know, it is concerning for the Bengals long term, having all this money tied up into one player. But at the end of the day, you can't lose your franchise quarterback that you've only had for a few seasons and have had this much success with him. It was the right decision by the Bengals. It's the right decision by Joe Burrow. Get all your money, young man. And he is deserving of every single penny that's coming his way. That being said, this is where it gets difficult. This is why you had to take advantage when you have him on the rookie deal. This is a huge year for the Bengals, dude. It's why I liked what they did this offseason. They said, you know what? Orlando Brown is available. Let's go get him. Our biggest weakness has been our offensive line. This maybe wasn't our plan, but he's available out there. Let's add him to this mix and let's see what we can do with him. I love what they are doing now. They've got to keep Jamar Chase. I don't think they're going to be able to keep T. Higgins. I think they're eventually going to have to come to terms with the fact that we can't pay our quarterback $55 million, Chase $30 million, and T. Higgins $20 million. $100 million and three players on your offense? Good luck, dude. Good luck building your offense that way. So there is a window, but they've proven to be pretty good at drafting. They have a very good coaching staff in place, despite all of my frustrations with Zach Taylor early in his tenure in Cincinnati. They're still going to be an excellent team. It just gets a lot harder from here. So this version of the Bengals is, I I think this is the last year that we see this specific version of them. Now, I will say this because I think you're right where you said, you know, this isn't it. But after like three, four years of that deal, once you start to get kind of closer towards the back end of that deal, Maybe more money's opening back up, not so much because of the contract, but because the cap starts Absolutely. to increase up. It's the same with the Mahomes deal. Yep. I remember coming on the air on the Mahomes deal going, oh, it's over. It's over. Yeah, you and Jamie were like, done. oh, the Chiefs can't possibly overcome yeah. this. Then they've just now you know, I, been back-to-back Super Bowls. Yeah, and now I look at it, I'm like, man, this dude's like the sixth highest paid quarterback. This is a steal for the Chiefs. So you get kind of that two, three-year window at the very beginning where it is, oh, things get kind of tough on us. Then towards the back and everything starts to look a little bit better. So you got to pay him again. All right, let's go through a few of these games going into this weekend. It's actually a pretty good slate. I think there's some fun and compelling games for a week one slate. Sometimes that's not the case. Like but Rams, Seahawks. Ooh, let's start with this. If you guys were to make an outright upset pick, three points or fewer or more in terms of the favorite, because otherwise it's, I mean, it's not even really a big upset. If you were making a big upset pick going into this weekend, T-Bone, putting somebody on upset alert, who you got? 
for me, it and I, I'm not a fan of it, but I can see where it happens. The Colts over the Jags. They're at Ooh. home. Not a lot. You don't know what to expect from Anthony Richardson. That's the biggest thing for me. I don't know what to expect. I don't think Jacksonville Jaguars know what to truly expect. I could see where the Colts come out. Richardson plays really well. It feels like a one-off after once we get to like week eight. But I'm putting the Jaguars on upset watch against the Indianapolis Colts. Grant? I'll tell you what. Looking at the Buccaneers and Vikings game, I'm not saying I think the Buccaneers are going to win, but I don't trust the Vikings. I just don't. I think they're going to end up with a pretty good record. Sure. But in any given game, I don't I don't trust them. They sort of feel like the Falcons in the sense that Ali does not feel safe with the Vikings. I could I mean the uh, the Vikings are favored by five and a half points. I don't think the Buccaneers are gonna win, but I see a situation where that could happen. Um so if I had to go completely off the board, I think I'd go there. So I will be honest, there are very few opportunities for an upset of significance this weekend because most of the lines are within three points. Yeah. Uh, the Panthers are three and a half point underdog against the Atlanta Falcons. And they You've just got... ruled out DJ Chark for that game. Did they? And Adam Thielen questionable. The Colts are a five point underdog at home against the Jaguars. You mentioned the Bucks as an underdog against the Vikings. The only other opportunities here are the Cardinals as a seven point road dog at Washington. <laughs> that, by the way, that game. <laughs> the Texans are a nine and a half point road underdog against the Ravens in Baltimore. And then beyond that, we're talking about like the Patriots at home against the Eagles, the Rams on the road against the Seahawks and the Raiders on the road against the Broncos. I don't love any of these opportunities, to be totally frank with you guys. So if I'm going to go with something different here. I will say, I don't think this is going to happen. Strange things happen in week one, though. Maybe the Texans go into Baltimore and beat the Ravens. Maybe. Maybe the Texans' defense is better than we're all expecting it to be. I thought mine was a stretch. The Texans have some talent on that side of the football. I was listening to a podcast recently, T-Bone, and it was the, uh, the Athletics NFL show. They were doing their rankings of the top 10 defenses in the league. And they had the Texans at number 10 on that list. You look at some of the talent that they've started to accumulate on that side of the ball. You bring in D'Amico Ryans, who's an excellent defensive mind. I think that could be a game worth monitoring. I don't know that any of these are going to happen, but if I'm putting anybody on upset alert, I know I love the Ravens. I think Lamar's going to be the MVP of the league this year, but that'll be my upset pick going into week number one. All right, if you were doing an eliminator this week, T-Bone, you got to pick a team, and you can never use that team again after this week. Who would be your eliminator pick going into this weekend? I'll get, you want me to give you mine first? Yeah. Washington. Because I don't want to use them again. Oh, oh that's fair. I, I can trust them against Arizona, and I can't trust them against anybody else. So I'm going to use Washington going into this weekend as my eliminator pick. Who would you go with, T-Bone? I would go with the Seahawks over the Rams. Hmm. Uh, the Rams really struggle to stop the running game, and the Seahawks are just going to run it down their throat this weekend. And you've got Geno with all of his weapons. Like, that's a five-point spread. I, I think the Seahawks win that game by double digits. I think they win by two scores. So I think the Seattle Seahawks are the team for me. I would put them in as my eliminator. I think I'd go with the Broncos at home against Let's the ride. Raiders. I don't trust them against many teams, but if I was going to pick them once at home against the Raiders might be one I go with. I like that a lot. 
It's a fun weekend. There's going to be a lot of games worth monitoring. We will be able to hear some of that action right here on 101 ESPN. We'll have Saints versus Titans Sunday with pregame coverage beginning at 1130. Patriots versus Eagles starting at three. And then Giants versus the Cowboys Sunday night football right here on 101 ESPN. That begins at 630. For T-Bone and Grant, I'm BK. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, sports, otherwise, whatever you got, throw it in on the text line right now. We'll get to it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. we got to ask us anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, anything non-sports related, throw it in on the text line right now on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. Let's start out with this from the 314. BK, since you had a child, how much use is the Peloton getting? I'm not going to lie to you guys. Very little. Very little. Uh-oh, it's getting dust. Bowl workouts have taken a bit of a backseat to Luca, who... It, it turns out raising a kid is time-consuming. Really? Had no idea how time-consuming it would be. Everything just takes a little while longer. Alex never told you that, huh? No, he didn't. He didn't huh. give me the heads up. It's not... I don't... I should knock on wood, because this could change tomorrow. <laughs> I don't find it as exhausting as I expected it to. It's just very time-consuming. Like... Feeding takes, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and then you got to change the diaper and then we're going tummy time. And then if we're going to go anywhere, you got to get the diaper bag packed first and then you got to get him ready to go. And we've got a dog. So you got to take care of the dogs. Well, like there's just there's a lot going on around the house right now. Casa de Kylie is a little more hectic than it once was. Um, it's a little more difficult to find time to say, hey, I'm going to go downstairs for 20 minutes, do a quick workout on the Peloton. And it's football season, which is even busier around this time of the year for me. So, yeah, add it all up. Yeah, the Peloton ain't getting a whole lot of work right now at all. Let's get to this from the 618. Better sandwich, PB&J or grilled cheese? Oh, grilled cheese. Oh, the hard disagree. Oh, I'm not a fan PB&J, of PB&J. Every day I'm of with the week. Tanner. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not really a big jelly guy. Yeah, I'm not either. I'd rather go P- or, uh, grilled cheese easily. Yeah. And, like, I, there is nothing better. It's a cold winter night. And you make yourself some tomato soup and a I'm out on cheese. that part, but... Uh, well, I, I'm t- nothing better than turning on an Illinois basketball game with some tomato soup and a grilled cheese. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Not at all. So I You're missing would out. much rather have a PB&J. When uh-huh. I was out in uh, Knoxville area over the weekend, had like two or three PB&Js. Uh-huh. It's great. Uh-huh. It's, it is the perfect gotta have something quick meal. I would rather starve than have a PB&J. Really? Yeah. Do you not like peanut butter? No. Well, I don't mind peanut butter, but I don't like, I'm with Grant, I don't like jelly. See, when I was a kid that's in elementary crazy. school, I used to take peanut butter and honey sandwiches to school. Now that's interesting. I like that more than peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Oh, I would go PB&J all I, day, and I am a peanut butter on both sides, jelly in the middle kind of guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Do the double peanut butter, jelly in the middle. You got to get a, a, a hefty serving of the jelly, yeah. but just in the middle. Yeah. Keep the peanut butter on the Now, why is that? Sides. Gotta gotta keep the bread ready to go, you know? The jelly kind of gets into the bread. It seeps in sometimes, Uh, especially if you're bringing it for lunch. It's the best way to go about it. All right, from the 314. Guys, settle an argument between my wife and I. Who is the better overall quarterback right now, Josh Allen or Joe Burrow? 
I take Joe Burrow every day of the week and twice on Sundays. I would too. And he's proven to be a postseason winner. Um, Josh Allen hasn't proven it yet in the postseason. Joe Burrow's gotten past Patrick Mahomes. So I would definitely take Joe Burrow as well. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Who's been to a Super Bowl? Who hasn't? Uh, That's my answer there. Uh, Nobody gets more hype than the Bills, who has never won significant games in the postseason. Just put it that way. Uh, Speaking of the Bills, guys, do you think that Sean McDermott is or should be on the hot seat this year? No. I I think he's one of those great head coaches that I can, even though this could be a mess this year, their mess is like 10 and 7 and still a playoff team. I, I just think he's too good of a head coach. You don't let that guy leave the building. I think their coordinators might be on the hot seat. I think that's fair. Like Ken Dorsey, if they don't get this thing figured out this year, that I think could be a change that they end up making. I think they will change the roster and the coordinators before they change the coach. Yeah. Didn't they just sign him to an extension? McDermott, I'm yeah, not sure. I think he signed an extension through like 26. Um, I, I think McDermott's just, he's a good coach. There are very few coaches that are elite. It's like five of them at any time in the NFL. And I think McDermott is right on that second tier. Yeah, I don't think he's elite, but I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's your problem in Buffalo right now. I think you've got a lot of other issues. I agree. I think the only way that's a conversation and with how good the AFC is this year, like there's always something at the end of the year you look at and you're like, what the hell? Like if the Bills end up somehow missing the playoffs, I could see where that's a conversation. Like if the Jets make it in, if the Dolphins make it in and the Bills are on the outside looking in, I think that becomes a real conversation. The other question is who gets fired elsewhere, right? Who's on the market? Who's available to you that you think is like a definitive upgrade over what you have? For example, if Ben Johnson ends up saying, I want to make the leap, I'm ready to go. He's the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. You saw last night. I think he's excellent at his job. He makes things easier for Jared Goff. If things go horribly this year for Buffalo, and I'm not predicting that, then maybe you end up exploring that. If Sean Payton was still available, if he didn't take the job in Denver, maybe you would have explored that. If Bill Belichick gets fired this year or decides to resign and wants another opportunity, maybe you explore that because you're in the middle of your window right now and it's starting to close a little bit for this version of the Bills. Those are the kinds of things that maybe you look into, but you have to have a clear and definitive upgrade over Sean McDermott, and that's not an easy thing to find in the NFL right now. Uh, From the 618, BK, do you think that the Chiefs would explore the trade market for a receiver if the offense continues to stumble as Kelsey makes his way back? Uh, Yeah, I do. I think they'll have to. If the receivers don't get any better than what we saw yesterday, then they'll have to decide we got to upgrade this position. We've seen them do that in the past at other spots, specifically defensive end. I think they would do that this year at wide receiver as well. I will not predict, though, that it continues to go as poorly as it did yesterday. I think Kadarius Tony will be better. I think Rasheed Rice showed you real flashes. And if Sky Moore continues to struggle like that, you'll just see more of those two. Uh, from the 618 guys, Pat McAfee said earlier today that he thought the timing of the release with the contract for Joe Burrow was intentional having sent that out right before the Chiefs got the ball. Did you think the same thing? I absolutely did. I think they announced that right before the Chiefs got the ball to start out the NFL season for a reason. These teams hate each other. They absolutely despise each other. And I think the Bengals wanted to take away a little bit of the shine of the Chiefs playing on on the primetime season opening game. I absolutely believe that. 100%. I'm, I'm not buying that. Then why would they announce it then? I think I think it just got leaked right around there. I don't Why? think it, I don't think it was on purpose. There, there's though. motivation. I see. I don't. I don't think there was. I mean, I just don't see the. 
to your point of, oh, they take the shine away. I saw the news and went, oh, cool, bro. And then I turned, I had the football game on. I didn't like go, oh my gosh, I got a deep dive in the details of this contract. Like there was no benefit to me by releasing it on that time. I think it was, it got done. It happened to get done right before that was the kickoff happened. No chance. And then it started to leak out. That so, was intentional. I say not intentional. Yeah, I'm not really buying yeah, into you. it either. I don't really care all that much, to be honest. Yeah. You don't, but... I think that it was intentional by the Bengals. They got a they got a couple of minutes out of you. You looked at it, you saw it, you were like, ah, interesting. And then I went, football! <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our football pick'em. Week one of the NFL and college football pick'em. Again, we're doing this this thing a little bit differently this year. Me, T-Bone, Alex, and this week, Grant, we'll get three picks. We'll get three picks going into the weekend exclusively against the spread. No props, no over-unders, anything like that. You get three games that are played on Saturday or Sunday in college football or the NFL slate. And you will rank them one to three in your level of confidence with three being the highest. At the end of the month, whoever has the fewest points based on those rankings will end up being the one that is punished. So we'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... Do the Cardinals have a top five core that they're building around right now in Major League Baseball? At least one ranking says no. They're on the outside looking in. We'll tell you why we disagree with this because we're homers next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK coming up in 10 minutes. We'll give you our football picks for the week. You can fade mine. You can take T-Bones. That's typically the way that things go around here. But right now, ESPN.com, specifically Kylie McDaniel, put out his rankings of the top cores that he would want to build around in Major League Baseball over the next, you know, five, seven, ten years. Number one, no surprise. He had the Atlanta Braves. He said, hey, I'm building around Ronald Acuna Jr., Spencer Strider, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Sean Murphy, all of whom he deems to be elite long-term players as part of their core. And then you also have, just for good measure, Ozzy Albies, Michael Harris, Rysel Iglesias. Got some good players on that team, it turns out. That's number one. Nobody, I think, would, with any sort of like reasonable mind would disagree with that. After that is where the interesting conversation comes up. His rankings continue with the Dodgers at number two. I think that's a little high for them. The Mariners at number three. I don't know that I would have them at number three, but I think they're definitely in this conversation. The Rangers at four. Agree with that. Houston Astros at five. I think they should be probably like maybe even number two. He's got the Baltimore Orioles at number six. I would have them like number three. And then the Tampa Bay Rays at number seven, who I would have lower on this list as well. You get all the way down to number eight, T-Bone. And you get to the St. Louis Cardinals. He does not have a single Cardinal in the elite category. He dropped Nolan Arenado from elite to above average. He has in that above average player list, Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, Wilson Contreras, Ryan Helsley, Lars Newtbar, Miles Michaelis, and Brendan Donovan. A tier below that, he has Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson, Mason Wynn, Tink Hintz, and some of the other prospects that are currently rising through the Cardinal system. T-Bone, because I am a homer and I exclusively talk about the positives for the St. Louis Cardinals, yeah. I think this is too low. I think the Cardinals have a top five core that I would want to build around right now in Major League Baseball. I would take the Braves above them. 
I think you can make a pretty strong argument because of the pitching that I would take the Mariners above them. I'll take the Rangers above them. I would take the Astros above them, and I would take the Orioles above them. That's right about the, the four to five teams that I would probably take definitively over the Cardinals. But right after that, I would take the Cardinals over the Dodgers core. I would take the Cardinals over the Tampa Bay Rays core. How do you feel about where they fall on this list? Yeah, I I think they should be just a little bit higher. I, I think they are probably about in that six range because I, I agree with you. I don't think Tampa Bay is better than them, mostly because I don't think Tampa Bay ever has a core because they just trade away guys constantly. <laughs> um, and then also, too, like I, I do agree with you. I would not have the Dodgers this high. Yes, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. I would I would even put Will Smith kind of in that elite category sure. as a catcher. Those three guys, I can understand how you look at them and go, that propels the Dodgers all the way up to two. But then I just look at the surrounding pieces around them, and it's just a whole bunch of like young, potential up-and-coming pitchers. But like Dustin Mays dealt with a ton of injuries. Um, you know, you look at Bobby Miller, who's been okay this year for them. That's I like gonna that be guy. I think he's going to be awesome. I think he is too, but like, I haven't seen enough for him to where I go, he's such a major factor into the ranking for the Dodgers. And then all their other pitchers, like Bueller, well, he's coming back from injury. Gonsolin is injured. Uh, Blake Trinan, a guy that's been dealing with injuries. Like Their whole core is older guys that are injury-prone. So I disagree with the Dodgers. Now, I think by the end of the offseason, there's a chance we're talking about them in this two-spot because they get super aggressive go out there and sign young guys like Yamamoto, potentially Shohei Otani if they want to go after him. But I think they're a little too high on this list. And I think part of that, maybe maybe part of the reason for me there too, is I still don't understand how the hell they're winning the NL West because I just don't think their roster is that good. Yeah, I, you know I agree with you. I said coming into the season, this is going to be the year that the Dodgers finally take a step back. And instead of being overwhelmingly great, they're merely good and they win like 90 games. Well, uh, well I look pretty stupid for that right now and for many other reasons as well. I do also think they just underestimate Jordan Walker on this list. Agreed. I would have him in the elite category. I understand what the wins above replacement says about Jordan Walker. They say he's been a below replacement level player this season. I see what he's done defensively, and I think that's probably about right. I think Jordan Walker this season has probably cost more Cardinals than he, uh, more runs than he's produced. I would also say I think that's going to be the outlier by the time that we get to like the next two to three years. I think by next year, he's an average defender in right field. And because of the way that we've seen his bat develop, I think that means he's like a 3-1 player next year at worst. I think he's already going to be above average in that way. And I think long term, he's a superstar. I think he could be for the Cardinals what we've seen some of these other guys that are in the elite category for other teams be for their respective teams. He could be your Kyle Tucker. He can be your Jordan Alvarez. He can be a Marcus Simeon for you. He can be a um, Julio Rodriguez. Like These guys that are, I'm building around this dude. This is my cornerstone piece. That's Jordan Walker for the Cardinals right now. So I, I think they're just underestimating him. And for that reason, I think that's why they have the Cardinals so low. The other reason, though, that the Cardinals are here. It's because of their lack of pitching. Yeah. The only pitchers that the Cardinals have in either the elite or above average part of this list, according to um, the pr- list produced by Kylie McDaniel, are Ryan Helsley and Miles Michaelis. That's it. Those are the only two pitchers. And I don't even know that Ryan Helsley should be a part of that. I, I think just, he I, should be like a solid piece. I was just about to say, I think both those guys should probably be solid pieces. Miles Michaels has not been that great this year. The difference between them and every other team on this list above them is the pitching. You look at the Tampa Bay Rays. We could name 10 different pitchers that they either have already as part of their core or are building up to their core. 
the Baltimore Orioles have developed homegrown talent in their rotation, whether in in their bullpen as well. You look at the Houston Astros, every single piece seemingly of that rotation is homegrown, except for the guy that they just traded for. The Texas Rangers are the one exception. The Mariners have done it with homegrown talent for the most part. They've got at the front end of their rotation. Yeah, they ended up adding pieces from free agency, but George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, we know those guys here because we talked about them ad nauseum. The Dodgers develop talent like nobody else in their rotation. Spencer Strider is the number one for the Braves. The team that the Cardinals have to take a piece out of their playbook is the Texas Rangers. We've said it all year. They are the formula for the how the Cardinals can build this thing. Now, you hope it doesn't disintegrate at the end of the year the way it has this year for the Rangers but the Rangers went out there and got aggressive they signed Jacob deGrom they go out there last year and sign John Gray they go out there and they trade at the deadline for Jordan Montgomery they trade for Max Scherzer they bring in some guys that you're not sure about on like a Nathan Ovaldi type of a contract that is what the Cardinals have to go out and do get aggressive and throw all of your resources at the pitching and you hope some of it sticks and if it doesn't you have added so much pitching that you have some some guys to fall back on, like the Rangers did this year with the Dane Dunning. Yeah, you can, and like I don't think they can find their like their version of Degrom in free agency this year. Like there is no Degrom who is an ace for the Texas Rangers when he is healthy. But can he get enough guys to to your point? Like if someone does get hurt, it's just kind of replacement level player, and you can come in and you don't go, oh man, we've got this massive hole and water is flooding our boat and we begin to sink. No, so. I, I think that they are the team, and you're right. We've been highlighting them all offseason long. Can you find your John Grays? Can you find your Nathan Avaldis on the free agent market that can be at the top end of your rotation? And then you also have great supplement pieces around him. And then you have to either wait for your number one to develop, which the Rangers also think they have in their system in Jack Leiter, or you wait till a potential ace does hit the market. What ends up happening with, it's a couple years away, but what happens with Dylan Cease in like two years? Does he get all the way to free agency because someone doesn't sign him to an extension or he doesn't end up getting traded? Then you go out and you pounce on that guy. But this year is about getting those top-end guys that are like number twos at best and then also getting a solid number four that that way you don't really have a massive hole and you've got Zach Thompson that's kind of sitting in as that kind of sixth starter for you. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Grant Francis and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, it is so great to have this back. I love losing football picks and that's what we're going to do coming up next. We're doing it a little differently. We'll give you our picks on a scale of one to three, three being the most confident, one being the least confident going into the weekend. College football, NFL, Alex joins us. We're giving you our picks next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, so excited for this. So incredibly excited for this. First of all, because Alex Ferrario is on the line, excited for that. He's got a crying child in the background. So if you hear that, it's because he's taking time out of his hard-earned vacation, staycation, if you will, to come on with his boys for our weekly football pick We're doing things differently this year. Last year, we would draft a total of nine games. We would go through those games and whatever was put on the list, those were the only choices for us. So sometimes you got stuck with a crap game at the end of the list that you had no interest in. This year, we're rating games from one to three on a scale of one to three confidence-wise. Three being the most confident, one being the least confident. You can pick any college football or NFL game that is played on Saturday or Sunday only against the spread. No over-unders, no prop bets. 
We'll go through these. We'll give you our list, starting with our level of confidence on the scale of one to three on the ones. So, T-Bone, I'll let you kick us off. What is your one-point game going into this week? So I feel pretty confident in this game, but I'm putting it all the way down at one because it's a line that makes no sense to me. Okay. And I'm going with the Utes at the Baylor Bears, minus seven and a half. Baylor just lost to, like, Texas Southern, and somehow the Utes are only favored by seven and a half in this one. Feels low. Tells me Vegas knows something, but I'm still going to bite on it. I'm going to I'm gonna take the nibble. I'm going after that worm that's floating around in the water. I, I'm going to take the bite. Minus seven and a half, Utah at the Baylor Bears. Alex, we're going to go with you next. By the way, if you have any games that are an overlap, you can go ahead and mention that as we go along here. That'll be the easiest way to do this. Alex, we appreciate you taking time, man, as I know you're taking care of the kids. What is your one-point game this week, buddy? Just call me Mary Poppins because I just got her to stop crying as soon as I got on the line. Wow, that is impressive. Go, guys. Impressive, I know. So the so number one point for me, the one I'm least confident in, uh, is Chicago minus one and a half. The only reason it's least confident, because I actually believe Chicago is going to clearly win that one, uh, I also don't know what Jordan Love is. So uh, I'm going to take Chicago, who home, minus one and a half points, uh, and that's going to be my least confident pick. I have a similar kind of a pick coming up later today that I will get to. All right, my no, my level one pick, my my one point game, the Steelers plus two and a half. The 49ers are traveling to the East Coast for a noon game against a team that I think might have one of the three best defenses in the NFL this season with TJ Watt coming back fully healthy. I love the Steelers in this spot. I think the Steelers not only cover the two and a half point spread, but win the game outright. And we're all looking back and say, whoa, what's up with the Steel or the 49ers? 49ers are going to be fine. They're still one of the three best teams in the NFC. It's just going to take them a week to get back on track. Nick Bosa was all worried about the contract situation. Now he's coming back on a short week. I like the Steelers to win week one in their home game against the 49ers, covering that two and a half point spread and winning on the money line if you want to get a little bit better odds on Vegas. Wow, and you're typically a guy that uh, doesn't believe in the West Coast to East Coast thing. I'm glad to see you're kind of learning my favor on this one. Oh, okay. (laughs) T-Bone, what is your two-point game, my man? All right, my two-point game, it's not luck of the Irish because the Irish are really freaking good. They're going to be a playoff team. Give me Notre Dame minus 7.5 at NC State against the Wolfpack. I love Hartman at QB. Again, this is one of those to me. It feels kind of low. I like Notre Dame on the road at NC State minus 7.5. Alex, did you hear his dad joke? I did, and it was terrible. Okay. Um, T-Bone, you just... Stay away from them, buddy. They, they just—they aren't for you, my man. You wait till my next pick. Oh, God. maybe puns. Like maybe puns will be uh, your area of expertise, but dad jokes just aren't there for you, man. Alex, what's your two-point game, my this. man? I don't got a joke on this one, boys. Uh, this one was probably going to be my most confident, but I have one that I'm even more confident in. But the number two point for me is Tennessee plus three. I think Tennessee is going to easily clear that threshold. They're on the road. Mike Vrabel's got DeAndre Hopkins now. I think they're going to be a well-oiled machine in week one. And taking on New Orleans Saints, that does not have Alvin Kamara, that I don't believe in Derek Carr, 
I think Tennessee easily clears those three points. I actually think they win that game straight up. I like that one. I like that one a lot. I like the under in that game. 41 and a half is the over under. I think that's going to be a slog fest. Both teams want to run the hell out of the football. I think both defenses are pretty good. I could see that one being like a 20 to 17 affair. Don't play any of those guys in daily fantasy if that's what you're trying to do. I do like that pick. I like the Titans to potentially win that game as well. My two-point game for this week is the Alabama Crimson Tide minus the seven oh, points That's what against Texas. This is insanity. What are we doing here, boys? I don't even know if the Texas Longhorns have a good quarterback. And that's supposed to be where they have the biggest advantage going up against the Alabama Crimson Tide. I heard somebody say earlier this week that Alabama basically has a clone of Jalen Hurts at quarterback right now. And I can't unsee it. Because Milrow looks exactly like what Jalen Hurts was with that team. They've got a good defense. They've got a great running game. They're talent depleted, sure, but talent depleted relative to one of the three most talented teams in the country is what they have been in previous seasons. This idea that Texas is back, quote unquote, is overstated every single season. You're telling me all I got to do is get Alabama to win by eight points? To cover the spread, love Alabama. Give me the tide minus the seven. Roll tide, roll, baby. BK, haven't you ever been told looks don't mean everything, and you're basing this pick off of because the quarterback looks like Jalen Hurts? What are you doing, my man? Well, this yeah, is why you lose every week. Against a team, by the way, against Middle Tennessee, who BK tells me not to take Mizzou on the points against Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, didn't you learn last year how bad you were? No, nope. like, Texas struggled again? against Rice. Rice. That's a great team. Rice is very filling. Yeah. Oh, then that was good. That's a dad joke. Yeah, that was good. Got him. Mm, man. Nailed it. I, I wish I could do an air five little. with him right now. BK, Adelaide doesn't even like your pick. She's bawling right now. She's I, I like, hear what her. is he doing? I, I can't I blame hear her. her. <laughs> She's very upset that you picked her up from daycare, buddy. Uh, T-Bone, <laughs> your three-point game is what? My most confident pick, give me a home in Boulder, Colorado, where the Buffalo and Deion Sanders roam. Okay. I love Colorado against Nebraska. That Nebraska team stinks. They they put up like three points against Minnesota. The whole Big Ten three favorites is amazing. Yeah, the whole Big Ten is terrible, and Nebraska is no different. I love Colorado minus two and a half. I think they're the real deal. And at home against a bad Big Ten team, I think Deion Sanders is going to be doing his little press conference victory tour again, going, "Oh, do you believe now? Was it up to three? three. Even better. Give me Colorado minus three. Just making sure we're on the same page. That way, when they win by three and you get a push, you're not crying that I didn't say anything at the time. It's three points. You're good with that, right? Yep. All right. Alex, your kids are very upset with you, so we'll get you out of here on this one. What's your three-point game? All right. Apologies on the screaming, boys. This is what Mr. Mom looks like for a week. So, uh, T-Bone, your Rams team blows. So, that's why Tennessee wasn't my number one most confident pick. That's why the Seattle Seahawks are going to be my confident pick. Minus four and a half. I think that's smooth sailing for Geno Smith. I'll cut it off there because she's getting louder. Mark that one down, boys. That's three easy points for your boy. Alex, before you get out of here, I've got that. Okay, four and a half. We've got it at four and a half for you. I'm going to give you the four and a half there. Alex is out. His three picks. Bears minus one and a half. Titans plus three. Seahawks minus four and a half. If he wasn't having screaming kids in the background and he had to take care of business, I would have kept him on the line for this. I'm going against one of his picks. My most confident pick this week. I've been telling you guys all offseason about it, and therefore I got to put my money where my mouth is. Packers plus one and a half. 
Again, another underdog that I believe wins outright. I think the Packers are simply a better football team than the Chicago Bears. You know, T-Bone, how much I love Justin Fields. I think he's going to be a great quarterback for the Bears eventually. I think that team is going to be very good around him eventually. I don't think they're there yet. I think they are in year one of this rebuild process. It's going to take some serious time to be able to get them to where they want to go. That offensive line is still a work in progress. Defense might be okay, but I'm not super confident in it just yet. I need another year of roster building for the Bears before I am truly bought into what they're trying to accomplish. I think the Packers are just better than what people are expecting. Am I worried about the fact that they have seemingly no wide receivers on the roster that are healthy? Hell yeah, I am. But I said all offseason, I think the Packers are winning the NFC North. It's time for me to put my money where my mouth is. Give me Green Bay, the Packers, plus one and a half points in week one against the Bears. There was ever three picks that I looked at that I felt were 0-3 would be BK Slate right there. T-Bone is going with three favorites, two of which are favored by more than a touchdown in the college football slate. Utah, minus seven and a half. Notre Dame, minus seven and a half. And Colorado, the Fighting Buffaloes, minus three. I've got the Steelers as a two and a half point underdog. Alabama, roll tide roll, minus seven. And I've got the Packers as a one and a half point underdog against the Chicago Bears. And one more time, Alex says the Bears plus one and a half, or excuse me, minus one and a half. The Titans plus three and the Seahawks minus four and a half. Grant, what did you have this week if we were going to take your picks for the football pick em? So for my one point game. I was going to go J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 plus two and a half. You didn't understand the rules. Nah, That's a Monday boo, football, he, pulled off oh, a, he pulled a Ferrari. Up. It's okay. The rules don't apply to me. I'm not part of the show. I'm just a backup board off. Doesn't I matter. do love that pick. I would have taken it as well okay, if it was so eligible. That makes me feel better. Uh, my number two pick <laughs> would have been yours, BK, Alabama minus seven. I love Alabama in that game at home. Going to be a better situation than last year for sure in Texas. So I'm taking Alabama there. My three-point pick was Philly on the road in New England, minus four points. Well, minus four and a half, I guess, since that's how you guys roll. But that's what I would have gone with. See, I am against you guys on the Alabama pick. I think it's a Texas win. I think yours is going to have a big game. He played well against them last year. They should have beaten them last year. If he doesn't go down with an injury, I think it is Texas' game to win. I think they pull off the upset against the Alabama Crimson Tide, and we can just wipe away Alabama from the college football playoff picture. All right, those are our picks of the week. They are officially in for this weekend's game, doing things a little differently this year. Instead of doing a weekly punishment, we will do an end-of-month punishment for the three of us here on the show. Shout-out to Alex for being able to do that, despite the fact that he had to be Mr. Mom at home as well. Coming up next... Is Matthew Liberator making his way into the Cardinals bullpen mix for 2024? I think that might end up being the best case scenario for the Cardinals. And we'll tell you why here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So Matthew Libertor's role is up in the air for 2024. He might be a starter down in AAA. Maybe he ends up working his way into the major league mix. But the all likelihood is if he's going to be a major league player for the cards early in 2024, it will be as a reliever alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK. We saw him last night. I believe this was the first time that we've seen this for Matthew Libertor come into the game as a one inning reliever for the Cardinals. And the results were honestly pretty impressive. He averaged 96 miles per hour on his fastball, which was up about two miles per hour from his season average. He ended up getting three ground outs. He did so against Michael Harris, Nicky Lopez, and then finished the inning against Ronald Acuna Jr. 
This was just his second relief appearance on the season, T-Bone. The other one, though, it was kind of a strange situation. You remember this it was early in the year. He started and then four days later came out of the bullpen. And then like five days later after that, he ended up coming into the game as a starter. So it was a weird time for him. This is the first time he's actually focused on being a relief pitcher for the Cardinals. T-Bone, what do you think of that possibility? Or next year, coming into the season, he'll be stretched out because they do this with everybody, right? They come into the uh, into spring training. It's like, hey, if you're a pitcher and you haven't been a leverage reliever for us, you come into camp stretched out, and then we figure out what to do with you there. What do you think of the possibility of Matthew Liberatore next year being a leverage arm for the Cardinals? I think it's the best route for him to go in terms of his development down the stretch here because I just don't see him being a starter in the Cardinals organization. Because two two things, one I think he's they've already showed by their actions that he's been leapfrogged by Zach Thompson, Dakota Hudson, Andrew Rom, and it's only going to get tougher with McGreevy and Graceffo down that are going to be ready to go by next year. Also, you got TK Roby and Tinkins down at the AA level that just have a higher ceiling, I think, than him at this point in his career. And then the other thing for me, I think it is best for him because we've seen he when he cannot maintain velo, and he's only been able to do it once, and that was against Tampa Bay. When he cannot maintain velo, he is just not as effective as a pitcher at the major league level. And that's why I think if you're going to have him be in the pin the rest of the season, which the Cardinals have said he will be, this is the route I would go. I would have him being like a one inning, maybe like they did last night, try and get him through a second of just go out there and be a reliever. One inning, max effort, max out at your 96, and see if you can get some more swing and miss on your stuff. And start by doing what Ollie does at the beginning of the year with relievers that are newer to the team like he did with Palante last year. Start off in low-leverage situations, build your way up, and then see, okay, let's see if he can come in in the eighth inning when we've got a one-run lead and we like the matchups. Let's see if he can handle that as a high-leverage reliever. I like this idea of him being a max effort reliever that you try and work into high-leverage spots because – I think it's his only route to the big leagues. I, I don't think he can be a starter because he just cannot maintain velocity and his stuff's just not good enough. I think he can maximize it by going to the bullpen. So his biggest issue right now, he's got many of them, but the biggest one, he cannot get right-handed hitters out. He just does not have an answer for them right now. And I don't think there's anything in his pitch mix that's going to change that. His curveball should play against righties the problem is he can't land his four seam enough to be able to have guys actually swinging at the curveball they're just like yeah i'm gonna take that because you're not landing it for strikes enough and then i'm gonna sit dead red against your fastball and i'm gonna crush it and more often than not they do opposing hitters are batting 340 this year against his fastball on the season and they have a slugging percentage on the year of 540 against it Overall, right-handed hitters have an OPS this year of about 900 against Matthew Libertor. Last year, it was over 1,000. He does not have an answer for them. And until that changes, he cannot be a starter. Because this year, about 70% of the hitters that he's seen are right-handed against him. I, I just, I really, if I'm an opposing lineup, I would put all of my righties into the lineup against Matthew Libertor and say, good luck, dude. Why would I put any of my lefties, unless it's, you know, like Bryce Harper, in there against him? There's no reason to. Just play the matchups, and you're good to go. So I think he needs to develop another pitch this offseason if he wants to be a starter at the major league level. Or he needs to refine his fastball in a way where it becomes a real player, regardless of the handedness of the opposition. If you can do one of those two things, maybe you can work your way into the good graces 
of this team as a starter, Zach Thompson brought that slider into the mix and it became a real player for him and it changed what he can be for the Cardinals. That is what needs to happen for Matthew Libertor. I think a cutter would be a good thing for him. Maybe you're able to just bring this in there, work in on the hands a little bit, and that becomes a pitch that works for you against a righty. But that's that's really the only idea that I have because he's got every other pitch that you could have. It's just not effective. Yeah, and I, I think you're probably right about the cutter slash slider for him because look at Zach Thompson. That is the pitch that you mentioned that has worked for him. Also, I was just kind of looking because – Packy's a guy that I just looked at. Can, can he be somewhat of what Packy was? Not this year because you barely saw him, and he, but he was good in, in the few innings that we saw before he had to have surgery. Can he be what Packy not was in 2022, where he held lefties to a 477 OPS, but righties crushed him at 951 OPS? If you can be that out of the bullpen, you, you're going to get an inning, and you're probably going to get three batters, but can he maximize just that? Can you become a left-handed against specialist? the Phillies, you're going up against Harper and Schwarber, Exactly. Right? Can you be what Packy's role was last year, which was, okay, we really don't want him to see right-handers, but if we can pick that perfect spot to those lefties that you know aren't going to be pinch hit for, can you go in there and can you get those guys out? And then we'll go to the pin after your three-batter minimum. Can Libertor do that? And I was just looking. Packy has a slider as well, and he was starting to use that just a little bit more um, this year before he ended up getting hurt. So maybe that is the pitch that kind of redefines Libertor and can make him into a starter this offseason. But I would just probably plan on, if I'm Matthew Libertor, okay, I need to work on becoming a left-handed reliever. Left-handed relievers, they survive in baseball for a really long time. Can I be that? Can I maximize my fastball velo? Can I land the curveball better? Can I add a third pitch that makes it um, even more effective. Hell, he may not even need a third pitch coming out of the bullpen against left-handers. So I think that's the best role for him. Can he be the packy not role of 2022 where he just is electric against lefties and just cross your fingers against right-handed batters? I remember earlier this season, Greg Amsinger said, I think he's going to be the next Andrew Miller. I think that is who he's going to be. If you're going to be that, though, that that curveball has to play like crazy. It has to be like I think Zach Thompson just flat out has a better curveball than Matthew Libertor. I know we've heard a lot about Libertor's curve. I think Thompson's is better, but the fastball has to be a player for him. Uh, otherwise, he he can never become that. He's got to have a fastball that actually plays against and right-handed that, hitters, and, and that may allow for the curveball to become that wipeout pitch. Because what made Miller so effective wasn't just the fastball because his fastball was good, but he had that wipeout slider. Mm-hmm. That thing was just filthy. And maybe Libertor's curveball is that if he starts to locate the fastball better and it plays up at 96, maybe the curveball becomes that. But even then, like I don't think his curveball is good enough to be that wipeout pitch. So it's just hard. He's going to have to really redefine his whole pitch mix this offseason. So if Matthew Libertor is not going to be the starter that the Cardinals are seeking, and I don't think he is, at least not for next year, then they need to add more. And we've known this for a while, right? This is not breaking news to any Cardinals fans that are listening. Eno Saris is one of our good friends. We have him on regularly. I think he's one of the best in the business when it comes to breaking down pitchers uh, in Major League Baseball. He does it for The Athletic, and earlier today, as part of his mailbag for uh, some of the readers, he was asked a question about, hey, Eno, if you were trying to fix this Cardinals rotation, what would you do this offseason? So he tried going through and finding out, okay, based on the money that they have available to them, what would I try to do to fix this rotation? And he said, based on... His best guess is they've got like 45 to $50 million to operate with this offseason. Sounds about right. That's kind of what we've been operating with as well. He added the following. How about five years and $75 million for Japanese right-hander Shota Imanaga? His Japanese stats compare favorably to Yoshi, uh, Yoshi Yamamoto as well as Kodai Senga, who just got this contract, five years, $75 million, last year from the Mets. 
The only problem is that Imanaga is older. He's already 30 and shorter than both Senga and Yamamoto. But his stuff plays up. He misses more bats than either of those other two pitchers. And the uncertainty of bringing a pitcher over from another league offers a chance to get a little bit of a bargain for your buck. For the second starter, I'd shop below the top of the market and see if I could get a veteran like Sonny Gray for less than $20 million a season. Guys with a curveball like his seem to age well, and though his strikeout rate is down a bit, he's still missing bats at an above average rate. So his offseason would be signing Shota Imanaga and then going out and getting somebody like a Sonny Gray. So let's just use Sonny Gray's name for this example. T-Bone, I asked on Twitter earlier today at BK Sports Talk, how would you feel about a Cardinals offseason if the two big additions to the rotation, they're going to add a third, but if these were the two big headliners, were Sonny Gray and Shota Imanaga. Said you'd feel my four options that I gave for fans. Over the moon, it's fine, underwhelmed, or a complete failure of an offseason. T-Bone, how would you feel about that if given those four options? Over the moon, it's fine, not great, but fine. I feel underwhelmed or complete failure. I'd probably say, man, that's fine. Like, I think that's a fine offseason, but I don't... There's, it's very tough to see them doing the over the moon off season. Like I think you'd almost have to land like Blake Snell and Aaron Ola to go over the moon, in my opinion, to be an a incredible off season. But I think it's a fine off season. I, I do like Sonny Gray. I think he's got good legitimate stuff as a number two. The thing that concerns me with Imanaga is just the fact that you don't know how that stuff translates to the major leagues. And, and maybe it ends up being like what Eno said: it is a uh, bargain for your buck. Or it could be a five-year disaster that you just brought over, and now you're kind of locked into, and this rotation's in just a complete disarray for the next, like, three to four years. So I have my concerns with going overseas after Imanaga, but to the Cardinals' credit, they have had success in doing so, going overseas, getting KK Suguano. So I would say it's probably just a fine offseason, in my opinion, if that's just the two guys that you bring in. If I told you that the Cardinals signed two guys that had a top 10 ERA in baseball this season. You feel pretty good about that, right? Yes. Kodai Senga has a 3.08 ERA so far this year. That's sixth best in Major League Baseball among qualified starters. Sonny Gray is even better at a 2.98. The only pitchers that have been better this year by an ERA metric than Sonny Gray are Blake Snell, Justin Steele, Garrett Cole. So I would feel... I I cannot say I would be over the moon because I wouldn't be. I'm not going to lie to you. Over the moon is reserved to me for like... You get Aranola and Yamamoto. Like something like that would, that would, wow. I would be shocked that they did it and I would be impressed as hell. This is just pretty good. It's somewhere between for me over the moon and it's fine. I think it would be a good outcome for the Cardinals this offseason if they got somebody like Sonny Gray. You know, I'm higher on him than most. And Imanaga, I think, is a really good option for the Cardinals. If Yamamoto is going to get $200 million, which is what the word is around Major League Baseball right now, I just don't think that the Cardinals are going to do that. Maybe you could argue they should. That's a fair discussion to be had. I don't think they will. And if you think that Imanaga is a guy that can be next year what Senga has been this year, dude, if you could just add somebody to this rotation that's striking out 10 batters per nine innings and has a, let's even call it a mid-three ZRA. Let's say it's bo- it's a little worse than what Senga's been. That's a legit number two. And you're adding in Sonny Gray to that mix as well, who's striking out a batter per inning. I mean, those guys are both better than anybody that you had in your rotation this year. You're immediately adding that to the mix, more swing and miss stuff. And I'm now talking about an offense that I think could be really good next year. All right, now we're talking about contention again. So I would not be disappointed by any stretch of the imagination by this. 
it's not the headliner names, but neither was Nathan Avaldi last year. Can Imanaga be for you what Avaldi has been this year for the Rangers? I think that's what you got to ask yourself. Can Sonny Gray be for you what Nathan Avaldi has been this year for the Rangers? And if you can get two of that player, I think you're in a really good spot. Because really what you're looking for, if you end up going this route, can I get my John Gray and Nathan Avaldi? Of the Rangers rotation. Yeah. And does that leave you short? It might, but the Rangers thought they had Jacob deGrom this year and now they don't. So they had to go at the deadline and get Max Scherzer, get Jordan Montgomery to be able to fill that hole in their rotation. You may have to go out there and do something similar where you got to trade for a front end starter to be able to get somebody that slots in either in front of or with Imanaga and Sonny Gray in a playoff rotation. But I feel like you feel pretty good about that if you end up getting that. Yeah, and and I can't remember what segment we were talking about earlier, but I, I do agree. I think that you're trying to find your uh, Nathan Avaldi and John Gray this offseason because there is not a true number one. Now, you may have to go the Rangers route, which is either trade for that number one at the deadline or this offseason or next offseason. And the guy that I would probably circle would be uh, Cease in Chicago. Now, it depends on what they're wanting. Like, I would think they're probably getting close to a rebuild. They're going to start looking for prospects. But um, that's what you've got to do. You've got to find your gray in Evaldi this offseason. And then you kind of hope, like, I know Evaldi's been great. He was not signed to be that guy. He was signed to be more of, like, a number two or number three. Absolutely. And he's pitched like a number one. So can you get that from Sonny Gray? Or can Imanaga be that only for your hope would probably be like maybe just a year, and then you find the number one the next offseason, or someone comes up through your system in a year or two and takes over that role. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind this offseason again. It just feels kind of, it does feel just kind of blah, but it's a good blah. I think you have more upside in this than you would. This is going to sound kind of crazy to say, but I think you have more upside in, in an Imanaga than you do with a Aaron Nola. I think you sign Nola for the certainty, I think you sign Imanaga for upside. Because he could be Kodai Senga. Can and, you, can, well, this would be my question. And you know, like, this is where we just completely differ on everything in terms of baseball, where it is you go, ooh, ceiling. And I go, oh, God, the floor. Yeah. Um, can you do that going into this offseason? Yeah. With that being a top end arm. Now, I would be willing to listen to that on the number four. Like, if you, like Herman Marquez, for example, the floor is you sign him and you never see him wear a Cardinal uniform. Ceiling is he comes back and he's even better than a four and he's on a one-year, like, $3 million deal. If that's I, where my concern is with Imanaga. That's where my concern is with Yamamoto. Because Imanaga is getting $15 million in this scenario. Yamamoto might be getting $200 million over the course of, like, a five-year deal. So I, I just think those are wildly different situations. $15 million a year for a mid-rotation starter is pretty reasonable. You know, so even if he does end up being a number four for you, well, it's like less than Miles Michaelis is what you're paying him, essentially. And that's what a number four starter gets every year on the open market now, even if it's a one-year deal. But they're getting $15 million to be the Andrew Heaney's getting that kind of money this offseason. Yeah, but my concern is this isn't a one-year deal. This is a five-year deal, and we... I feel very confident based on all of the reports. I'm not sitting here telling you I'm breaking down what he's doing over in Japan. But based on all of the reports, it sure sounds like his stuff should play up enough to be at least a mid-rotation starter for you long-term. And if that ends up being, if that is true, and I'm just trusting the other guys that are breaking the stuff down, then I, I'm comfortable with that. Um, I understand if you're not, and I think that the Cardinals will say, we are comfortable with it because of the money. I say, because I think they, it is a significant discount compared to what we would have to pay if we saw that happen already in the major leagues. And I don't think they'd say they're comfortable with it just because of the money, because I think that is true too. They'd have to say, we have to be comfortable with it because Fair. we have to go make that kind of a move. And my concern is, is we I don't want to say we crushed the Cardinals because we liked the signing at the time, but we've mentioned it over the last two years of, 
my fear is if it doesn't translate and he does become more of a three slash four, that you look back and you go, it's the same lesson from the Stephen Matz deal of you get too many years to another mid-rotation arm would be my concern. I I think there was very little upside in Stephen Matz. Like there was never any way that you could convince yourself that he was going to be more than a mid-rotation starter. He was signed to be a four and he's been a four when healthy. So I I think that's where I would differ is this has upside built into it. Like, I think this is pretty similar, honestly, to Nathan Avaldi. Avaldi came with real risk. It was only a couple of years in terms of the contract. So that's where there is some differences there. But it came with risk because of age, injury and ineffectiveness the couple of years prior. And you wondered, what is he going to be for you? But there was upside of, hey, when this guy's been healthy in the past, especially in big games in the postseason, this guy comes through. So there was a chance that he could play up as a two or a one even if you needed him to be that. And this year he's 2.95 ERA and 20 starts for the Texas Rangers. Somebody on the text line, by the way, said, guys, you keep saying that you need the Cardinals to go out there and have a Rangers type of offseason. This is nowhere near that. It's not if we are including Jacob deGrom into the equation. That is the difference. But their offseason was really Andrew Heaney, Martin Perez bringing him back and Nathan Avaldi. I don't think this is all that different than that. And then the year before that, they brought in John Gray on a free agent deal as well. So I, I think this has some similarities to like bringing in John Gray and Nathan Avaldi in one offseason. Yeah, and then you figure out the DeGrom signing or trade a year down the road. Yeah, or you just don't do that and you say our offense has the potential to be so good that we're going to go ahead and go that route. And we're not going to be in on the Jacob DeGroms, which honestly, they, they probably shouldn't be. I mean, it was a it was an incredibly risky deal to begin with, and everybody knew it. I liked it because I think if Jacob Degrom's healthy in the postseason, he puts you over the top potentially. But that is the one piece that, like, I'm not going to hold the Cardinals to that one, but I will hold the Cardinals to the tier below. But frankly, there's not a Jacob Degrom on the market this offseason. so even if they wanted to go do that, they can't. That guy's not available. The closest thing's probably Snell. Yeah, if they wanted whoo. to go that direction. <laughs> Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, Alex out one more day. He'll be back in on Monday. I'll be out on Monday because that's the way we do things here on BK and Ferrario. We just decide we're never going to work together, but we will do that It's like you guys don't like each other or something. We do. That's the funny thing. It sounds sometimes like we don't on the air, but I like Alex quite a lot. I would consider him to be a friend. In fact. Yeah? Yep. Okay. You guys, you guys always always bickering. It's tough to tell, you know? It's like an old married couple, you know? Sometimes you... Uh, your best fights are with the people that you love the most. All right, T-Bone, let's dive into the juncture. What do you got for us today, man? All right. This is something that I can't even believe has been attempted three times before this last attempt was shut down. But there's a gentleman that lives in Florida. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. Yep. Um, and his, like, number one goal in life has always been he has a, like, a hamster wheel that, like, floats on water. And his number one goal in life has always been to go across the Atlantic Ocean from oh, Florida God to Britain in this homemade hamster wheel and he got 70 miles into his 4100 mile journey this latest attempt before the Coast Guard shut him down. Ah, and he has failed to see it. 
failed, and I don't know if this means failed in terms of it's been shut down by the Coast Guard or he's like sunk into the ocean. Three other times he tried it in 2014, 2016, and 2021. My God. I don't know why you'd ever want to do this because this just sounds terrifying to even attempt to do. I just don't understand how you'd have enough. So you said it's how long? 2,400 miles? 4,100 mile journey. How long was he expecting this to take? Do we know? Uh, No. I don't know how you get enough food for that. Does he have people that are coming to bring him food while he is on this journey across the Atlantic? That would be my guess because you wouldn't want your lunch kind of rolling around in your wheel. Unless he's just floating for a little bit. I guess you could just kind of float for a little bit. Eat your little, you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I have a grilled cheese. And then I'd be energized to keep my pedaling around and get to the place. This to, I would not want to do this because like no. being stranded at sea or like you hit a big storm and you're in a little hamster wheel just sounds terrifying. To do me. you have something that you want to do, though? Like when I was younger, uh, we went to Colorado. We were in the mountains and we went paragliding, which was crazy. Absolutely insane. Um, it was a lot of fun. At some point in my life, I would like to go skydiving. I'm terrified of heights. I will probably have a heart attack in the middle of it, but it'll be fun while I'm still living. Do you have something like that that you'd want to do? Even if it's not obviously gliding across the Atlantic. Yeah, it's nothing I wouldn't deem like really life uh, scary or or loss of life potential. Uh, I've always wanted to do, um, because I've seen it when I took Spanish in high school, I've always wanted to go down to Costa Rica and do uh, zip lining through kind of like a forest there. That's what I want to do. That's like the number one. Costa Rica so bad it's like the number one place on my bucket list to go to that would be my only thing that I can really think of that I really want to do I don't have anything crazy in mind I think the one thing that I think would be really cool to do I'm into road trips I really like doing road trips really I'd love to do like a cross-country road trip just like hit a whole bunch Living of different of a, places a van maybe um I don't know if it'd be like that long of a thing um it probably would be for a short term but it wouldn't be like a two-month-long thing. I, I have a family member. I can't, what What is the highway I'm drawing a blank? You should go to Apache Village RV Center. They'll get you taken care of. They should go to Apache Village RV Center as much as my family member travels. I think I will when um, I do that. <laughs> um, what is the interstate uh, that's really famous? 70. 70, yes. I thought you were messing with me. Se- yeah, I-70. Wait, why would you think I was messing with you? I, I you were familiar with I seven. It's like in, it's like the in, one that goes from L A to New York. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've had a family member that's taken that and done it, and you know how, how it kind of goes through like some small towns along the oh, way. Oh, Route sixty six. Like, that's the one. Route yeah. sixty six. Yeah, not, I thought seventy was wrong. <laughs> I, was like, I was about to say it's the one that's in the Cars movie. I didn't know if that would yeah. help or not. Yeah, Route sixty six is the one I'm thinking about. I've had a family member that's done the full Route sixty six trip where they go from I can't remember where it starts. And they go all the way down to the end, and they come all the way back. And he loved it. He said it was great. That you get, you stop at a bunch of small, like little restaurants that are really cool. You got some cool little shops. There's sure. cool little things across Route 66. He said it was one of his favorite trips. I, I probably would put that on like a road trip one that I would want to do That'd too. Be cool. You know what area of the country I really want to go to, and probably because I've just never been there. I've been to most regions of the country, but I want to go to like the Utah area. I feel like that's such a cool part of the country yeah. that nobody really thinks about. The but Red Rocks awesome in Arizona are really cool yeah. as well. Yeah, that'd be cool as well. Sedona. I also want to see a concert at that uh, one place in Colorado. Red Rocks. Yes. Yeah. I want to see a concert there. That place look, it looks amazing. I made a horrible mistake once with my wife. So I wanted to show her Red Rocks. It's a super cool venue, right? 
so my whole family's from Denver. We go out there every summer whenever I was growing up, and we'd have countless trips that we would go up to the Red Rocks area. So one day when we went to Colorado, I was with my family and whatnot, and I took Kara, and I said, hey, I'm going to take you somewhere. I want to show you something. I think you're going to find it to be really cool, right? She appreciates some of the same stuff that I do. So I drive her out. It's like a 30, 45-minute drive from Colorado it's, or from Denver. It's not a crazy drive. So we drive out there, and it's just this beautiful scenery, right? We're walking up, and you, it, like, opens up for you. I made a terrible mistake of starting out at the bottom. We were going to work our way up to the top from the bottom. My wife has asthma. It's not severe, but she's got asthma. And we oh are in, gosh. obviously, the mountains at this point in time. So we're starting to walk up these stairs, and she is struggling. So we get about halfway up, and I'm trying to talk to her. I'm like, look how beautiful this is. What a what an incredible scene, right? We're just taking it all in, and I'm like, this is just such a, a romantic trip. BK's we're having to, the time of yeah, his life. Yeah, the best. We get to the top, and I, she, I've, there are very few times in my life where I've seen her more frustrated with me. <laughs> Because I didn't give her a heads up on where we were going, what we were going to be doing. And she was like, if you, you had told me that we were going to be doing this, I would have told you no. And so it it ended horribly, absolutely horribly. So Red Rocks, you should definitely do it. But if you're going with somebody else, specifically if they have um, asthma, asthma. Don't start at the bottom. Well, yeah, don't start at the bottom and Noted. definitely let them know ahead of time what you're going to be doing. So that way they can bring their inhaler. Yeah, I could see where I, job, I can already see it where... You're having the time of your life, and poor Karis just struggling. I, I, yeah. Poorly Not a surprise played. to anybody that is Poorly familiar played. with either of us. For T Bone and Al, or mm, I was good about Hasn't it all week, all week long. All week long, I did oh. so well. That's Grant. I'm VK. Coming up next, we got a swing game for the fight in the Illini tonight. A good Friday night barn burner yeah. between the Illini and the Kansas Jayhawkers from the West. We'll talk about it, what it means for the Illini coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Toledo is the MAC champion. Illinois needs to beat the MAC champion, but that's not easy in the first week of the season, right? Kansas, you're going to Kansas. It's a hell of a lot better program with Lance Leipold now there. That's a Friday night game uh, with a good quarterback in Jalen Daniels. So, and then uh, you got a bunch of toss-up games in the Big Ten that are, are going to be close games. If they had a seven or eight win season, that'd be so huge for this program that just has not been able to put together winning seasons back to back and almost. 25, 30 years. That was our conversation with Jeremy Werner of uh, com prior to the Toledo game. Of course, Illinois kind of took care of business against Toledo. They got the win. Survive in advance. That's all you got to do. Style points don't matter when you're trying to get to eight wins on the season. Alongside T-Bone and Grant, I'm BK. This is another one of those games, T-Bone. Tonight, you'll see the fight in Illini take on Kansas in Lawrence. Normally, this would be the type of game that I would say, oh, it's Kansas. You don't have to worry about that one. That's an easy one. Not anymore, man. KU's starting to build their program up a little bit. KU is a three and a half point favorite in Vegas in this game. Jalen Daniels is expected to play. He's a very good quarterback, a legitimately talented quarterback. This is not going to be an easy game for the Illini. Their defense needs to show out in a way that they did not in week one against Toledo. T-Bone, you're our Illini guy here on this show, so I'm going to let you get the first word on this on how you think tonight will go. 
How are you feeling going into this game? Not great. Not great at all because I'm a little concerned of how the both lines are going to hold up for the Illini. The offensive line was not great against Toledo, and I'm fascinated to see how they do against Kansas. They're going to have to establish the run a little bit better than they did in the game. They need Love and McCray to kind of pick things up in the rushing game for the Fighting Illini. And also, I just want to see the offensive play calling be a little bit more friendly, not friendlier, but I want to see them open up the arsenal a little bit more to Altmeyer. I thought he was great in week one. Uh, but defensively, it's going to come down to two guys for the Illini. What does Keith Randolph look like and what does uh, Newton look like for the Illini? That's the two big defensive tackles for him, and I thought they got kind of handled in the game against Toledo. They have to be the guys that are going to be the kind of X factors or the deciding factor for that Illini front seven because they're supposed to be the guys that clog up the run and they're supposed to be the guys that are putting pressure on the quarterback. And if they have trouble containing Daniels, then they are going to be in a world of hurt. And that was their biggest issue against Toledo. Finn destroyed them in the rushing game where he had 20 carries for 75 yards. This is a legit game that can swing the season for the Illini. I mean, the same is true technically for Kansas, but we don't care about them. If Illinois ends up winning this game, you're looking at the season, you say, all right, seven wins is very much on the table for Illinois. If they lose this game, now you're talking about, okay, the, the wind has kind of been taken out of the sails. You barely beat Toledo. You lose on the road at Kansas. You're probably, let's be honest, going to lose next week against Penn State at home. Now, Illinois had a good history recently against Penn State, so... Maybe they can find a way, but you would think that's probably going to be chalked up as a loss. So now you're starting one and two, and the optimism about the season starts to wane. Maybe the crowds aren't quite as good as they would have been otherwise, and it changes the way that Illinois fans feel and think about the team. So this is a big one, man. This is the same way that I feel about Mizzou next week against K-State, where it's a peer program from the Big 12, Power 5 opponent, and if you find a way to win that one, Man, you feel like you can do anything. Like You feel like it's all available to you as a team. If Illinois goes to KU this week and wins at Kansas, well, now next week we'll be talking about it. We'll say, okay, you've had some history against Penn State. Should be a pretty good crowd there in Champaign going up against the Nittany Lions. Maybe? Like, probably not, but maybe. Maybe they can do to Penn State what Mizzou almost did last year against Georgia. And now you start dreaming a little bit about what the season could potentially be. And even if you don't get that game against Penn State, if you got the game against Kansas, well, FAU's there, Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, Indiana, Iowa, Northwest. Like, it's still very much on the table that Illinois could end up still competing in a meaningful way against uh, the Big Ten this year in their division. So uh, this game, to me, I, I don't think you could say that the stakes are a whole lot higher for where Illinois is right now. This is not Texas, Alabama. Nobody's trying to make it out to be that. But for the type of season that Illinois is trying to have, where they're putting back, hopefully, putting together back-to-back seven to eight win seasons for the first time in like 30 years, this is the game that makes that possible for you. Yeah, 100% agree. Because if you can win this, I, I think they are a probably guaranteed eight win team. You lose this, I still think they can get to eight wins. But kind of the, to your point, some of the wind is out of your sail for the Illini football program because I think you're right, Penn State's a loss, and then you're one and two. And though you will beat Florida Atlantic, depending on how tonight goes or what things look like, like if the defense still looks kind of as shaky as it was against Toledo, they're not going to be a team that's going to be the favorites in some of these matchups. Like Purdue will be tough on the road. Uh, Nebraska will be kind of tough at home. Minnesota will be tough on the road. Wisconsin will be tough at home. Like I look at their schedule, and I think they can be an eight-win team. 
But if they come out tonight and they don't play very well and they lose to Kansas, I think they're probably looking at like a six to seven win team. They win tonight. I think they're going to build a ton of confidence going into that Penn State game. I don't think they would upset them by any means. Sure. But I think they build enough confidence to where they can go in and they go, you know what? We're going to be three and one by the time we're done through our first four games, and then we're really going to hit conference play. And everybody in our conference isn't very good. They could win eight, maybe even nine games, I'd be willing to say, too. I don't expect them to upset Penn State if they win tonight, but I didn't expect them to nearly and probably should have beat Michigan last year. I didn't expect them to win in that overtime game a couple of seasons ago against Penn State either. And they found a way to do both of those things. So if you win tonight, we can have that conversation next week. And it becomes something that is at least on the table if you're an Illinois fan. Somebody on the text line asked, well, guys, why did Illinois schedule two difficult opponents to begin the season? Mizzou got a couple of easy opponents before they got to their more difficult piece of the schedule. I actually like this game. So I hate the Toledo game. That is the worst case scenario because if you win it, you were supposed to win it. If you lose it, man, you lost against a group of five team to open up your season. There's almost no upside to a game like that. I would rather open up the season with a South Dakota, some blood donor that you're paying them to come in and you know, okay, we're going to beat them by 20 plus points and we move on to week number two. I would rather do that than go up against a team like Toledo But I love it when teams schedule these Power 5 oppositions early in the season. I think it's great. You find out a little bit something about your team, and it becomes a compelling matchup that has some real intrigue. Like I think that is good. I think it's good that Illinois is going to be on ESPN2 tonight um, against Kansas. That stuff I like. The first game of the season, I, I don't love that scheduling. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like when Mizzou went to Wyoming or when they went to Arkansas State. I don't love doing that. Yeah, no, I— I, I don't mind it because it is like, hey, we got to be ready to go. We got to make sure that we're good to go for week one and we don't just have a cupcake kind of go through the motion. So I don't mind going up against Toledo. But I, I think you're right. I do like these kind of power five games that aren't in conference play. But like Illinois, Kansas, two programs that, let's be honest, win loss here can help determine a trajectory for a team going into next year too and not so much just this year as well kansas trying to build up just like illinois where they were two programs that had gone really low in their respected conference and are now kind of on the up and up and trying to get to the eight win plateau again and they've got decent pieces on both sides i mean that newton kid's going to be a top prospect in the nfl jalen daniels a great quarterback for the college level altmeyer has the potential to be a really good quarterback at the college level as well so I mentioned how this is a wind-in-the-sails type of, type of game for the Illini. You want to keep it there. You don't want to lose that momentum that you're building. Same thing is true for Mizzou this weekend against Middle Tennessee State. Last week I said for Mizzou, this was the kind of game that you can only learn bad things about your team. Same thing's kind of true this week. Just beat Middle Tennessee by two scores or more. If you do that, we're good. You keep the optimism there for Mizzou fans. You go into next week's game, which is right now sold out against Kansas State. And every Mizzou fan's going to go into that game thinking they have a real chance to be able to do something. This is only a one-point line right now in Vegas, Mizzou versus Kansas State. It's basically a pick'em, uh, according to Vegas. So Vegas thinks that game should be very, very close. That only continues if Mizzou is able to take care of business this week against Middle Tennessee State. If they do not, it will be another and a long line of early season disappointments that completely takes away the optimism for Mizzou fans. We have seen this seemingly every year since 2015. Last year, the K-State game, they beat the crap out of you. And then you followed that up with a disappointing performance against Abilene Christian. 
2021, too close for comfort against Central Michigan. We could see early on, uh uh-oh, offensive line is going to be a problem for this team. And then you lose week two against Kentucky. Boom, season over. 2020 was a fake season, but they start out 0-2. 2019, Wyoming. I don't need to say anything more. (laughs) 2018, they actually had a fun start to the season, and that was the year they went 8-4 and four with Drew Locke as their quarterback. 2017, you gave up 43 points in the season opener against Missouri State. Not ideal. 2016, you'll lose in Week 1, 26-11 on the road against West uh, Virginia. Boom, season over in terms of the optimism. 2015, all right, 34-3 against SEMO. Bang, 27-20 against Arkansas State on the road. Barely escaped that one, and Mizzou fans know immediately, uh uh-oh, this is not going to be what it was in 2014 when they won the SEC East. Every single year, other than 2018, since the 2015 season, Mizzou fans in the first two weeks of the year have had their teeth kicked in. You have to keep some of that momentum going into that K State game. Is this the game? Because like I think defensively, they're I think they're such a good defense that like I I don't think they're going to have any struggles in this game against Middle Tennessee, is the offense that the one this is going to come down to, to where it is, the offense has to be, you got to win by the two scores, as you said, and the offense can't look kind of stumblish with Brady Cook quarterback. Because that's the one for me. Like, I think the defense, they're going to be fine against Middle Tennessee. The offense is the one that I still think, okay, there are some questions to it still. Sure. What does it look like with Kirby Moore? Uh, Brady Cook and Luther Burton, how's that connection going to look? At? It was Burton's game against South Dakota just a fluke because it was South Dakota, and he's in the slot again. Like The offense is the one for me that I say, if Mizzou does struggle, it's probably because the offense didn't put things together against Middle Tennessee. I agree. In Middle Tennessee, the way that they operate defensively, they are a boom-or-bust defense. They're going to come after you. They're going to blitz you. They're going to try to get takeaways. They have, I think, the most takeaways in college football over the last three seasons. Can you prevent those negative plays? Brady Cook, I believe, does not have an interception in his last like six games as a starter for Mizzou. Keep that trend going. If you can keep doing that against Middle Tennessee, you prevent the negative plays. Last week, they only had two tackles for loss for their running backs. If you can prevent the negative plays... And make a couple of explosive over explosives over the course of the game, you're going to be in a good spot to be able to go into K-State next week and have an opportunity to do something special for this Mizzou team. Coming up next, there's still some surprising NHL free agents available. Are they going to change the complexion of the Central Division? We'll talk about that and some disappointing news yesterday that came out for the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So earlier today, I was over on The Athletic and they put together a list, T-Bone, of the top free agents that are still available in in this offseason alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis on Brandon Kylie. I was surprised by some of the names. I guess I just hadn't really looked at the market because the Blues have basically as much money as you, me, and Grant have together in our savings accounts right now, which is not a lot. Um, But some of the players that are out there are actually pretty good. I mean, Patrick Kane, that's the big name, but Tomas Tatar is still available out there right now. Nick Ritchie, who I've been trying to get on the Blues, I think, for five years, is out there. Phil Kessel is available. Uh, Comtois is still available, or Comtois... Grant, were you the one that brought him up whenever he was let go by by Anaheim, or was that Jamie Rivers? I can't remember. I think of you two as kind of interchangeable with your hockey knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. I, I have always liked Max Comtois. He's actually been one of the guys that has 
always burn the blues when the Ducks would play them. So I've always thought he was a solid player, and yeah, I'm surprised that he's still on the market as well. And then I think Alex has brought up Zach Aston Reese's name for 14 Uh, years while we've been doing the show, and he's out there available as well. I don't think any of these guys are like household names necessarily outside of Kessel, probably, uh, maybe Tatar. And Kane. Kane, but he's he's got a lot going on with in, in terms of the injury status for him. But I do think like a Tatar could change the complexion of a playoff race this year for somebody if he ends up getting a Mike Hoffman type of a deal. So I, I found that to be a little interesting. Again, I don't think any of these guys are necessarily options for the Blues because of their cap situation. But it's something worth keeping an eye on as we uh, as we look towards the free agent market, maybe changing what the Central Division or what the Western Conference race could be. Yeah, I think it is worth keeping an eye on because I think you're right. Some of these guys could come in and make a difference for somebody. Like Tatar's the guy that I would circle as the guy that could do that. Now, in the playoffs, he clearly won't be making a difference, but he's someone that could someone could sign. Out. He feels like we were talking about this in the office, the Mike Hoffman route, where maybe a team that's kind of stuck in the middle, kind of where the Blues are in that middle position, could be a fringe playoff team. Maybe they're outside looking in. Gives him like a PTO and then he signs a one-year deal as we get close to the end of the offseason. So I, I think you're right. I think one of those guys could sign somewhere and just keep like an Nashville. eye on it. I, They're I the like team Nashville that I thought of for Tatar. For him. They've got $7 million right now in cap space available to them, and they've got their entire roster filled. So I, I could see maybe then maybe Chicago if they decide, you know what, let's go ahead and take a chance on a guy that Chicago loves been their veterans. Yeah, you could flip him at the deadline. You know that he's going to be somebody that maybe has a little bit of value as you get closer to uh, – to the second half of the season. I could see one of those two teams maybe getting on, on a player like that. Yeah, and Nashville was the team that kind of came to my mind with Tatar because the money, as you said, and two, like, they're a team that, um, I'm drawing a blank, what's his name, that's running hockey ops for him now. Why is he eclipsing my... Trots. Trots, thank you. Uh, Trots sounds like a guy that wants to keep that team competitive, though they are kind of retooling. Kind of, It sounds a lot like what Army's been saying of, look, we're in a retool, but we're still going to be competitive in this phase. Tatar's the kind of guy that could come in, and I don't know if I would like suddenly take the Predators over the Blues when it comes to standings if you just sign one guy. I don't think he makes that much of a difference. But over time, I think it is one of those where it is, okay, maybe that's the guy that ends up tilting things in favor of Nashville over the St. Louis Blues. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up NHL-wise was a disappointing story uh, that was announced yesterday, some news. Kasperi Kapanen um, was arrested in his native Finland for aggravated drunk driving. Now, I don't know what the laws are in Finland, so I can't speak to what the levels of alcohol-related substance were in his system compared to, like, in America. For example, there was a situation a couple of years ago um, with a player, Sebastian Ajo, for the Islanders, not the other Sebastian Ajo, where he was in his native Sweden and it was like a 0.03, that was his level of alcohol in a system as BAC, that wouldn't rise to the level of a drunk driving situation here. So keep that in mind. Context is always important with these types of things. That being said, I was looking for what the expected suspension would be for something like this in the NHL for Kapanen after getting a drunk driving uh, arrest. There's nothing in the NHL's rules that will end up suspending him or like a mandatory fine or anything like that. There's just nothing there that I could find. So I looked back at some of the recent issues. And again, I mentioned Sebastian Ajo. There was no suspension or anything there. Ryan O'Reilly, you remember, this is all the way back in 2015. Nothing came of that. Now, those charges were eventually dropped. So maybe that has something to do with it. But 
I do think this is something that the NHL needs to look into. The NFL has a policy against it. Major League Baseball does not. I also think they should look into it. But the NHL, there should be some kind of a suspension that takes place for a guy like Kasperi Kapanen, where if you end up getting into to a DUI-related incident, this is what the suspension looks like. Maybe it's six or eight games, and the NFL, I think it's four games, is what they've kind of uh, landed on for them. I think this is something that the league needs to look at. I would also add this. Listen, people make mistakes and they deserve second chances. However, this is the kind of thing that would give you second thoughts if you're the Blues. We've talked about who do you sign long term. We've talked about the off-ice things to the reason why Yakub Verana is here in St. Louis. I, this is something that would give me pause if I'm Doug Armstrong as well about giving a long-term extension to a player like Kasperi Kapanen. Fair or otherwise, it is something that will, I believe, be taken into account at that point. But the bigger thing that I wanted to get into here is the NHL needs to look at this. They, they need to find a way to crack down on stuff like this taking place off of the ice. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. They've got to look into it. I, baseball, I'm same as with you. They, they've got to look into it as well. Um, and, and I think you're probably right. About six to eight games is probably right around that range in which they would look at. NFL's at four. Um, but, yeah, to your point on Kaepernick, and I do agree, deserves the second chance as everybody does. It is something that the Blues have to look at if they're going to consider him as a guy that they look at as maybe we do give him a contract extension if he is playing well. It is something to definitely consider when it goes into weighing the options of Kapanen. And the same is said for Vrana and his whatever his separate off-ice issues were as well. It is crazy to think about the NFL and their consequences for it compared to the NHL. Like four games in the NFL, that's equivalent to 25% of your season almost. Yep. In the NHL, that's 25 or well 20 games. That, that's kind of insane to think about, and they don't really have anything set up for it. And to your point about the Ryan O'Reilly situation, I was in high school at the time, so I wasn't following you know players' personal lives that much, but I, I didn't really remember hearing about it. I didn't hear about it really until he came to the Blues and you know reading through Twitter on replies and stuff, you see things, and that's how I kind of found out about it. So it is kind of crazy that these things happen and they really just fly under the radar. And uh, because of social media, you find out about it, you know, the rise in it, you find out about it more and uh, more quickly now. But yeah, it, it is surprising that there's nothing really set in place to deal with these sort of things. There's not even, you know, uh, an outline for how to handle it. Somebody on the text line said, so if you guys get a DUI around outside of your work, should your uh, job suspend you or fine you? If I got a DUI, I think that my job would fire me probably. Everybody, depending on your level, like it's different for different people. Of course, that's how it works. And we know that in the workplace environment. But um, like, for example, if this was something that happened in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, God forbid, um, got behind the wheel after drinking, he would have a different level of tolerance from the Chiefs than the 53rd player on the roster would. Right. Some of this is defined by your skills and how valuable you are in your workplace. But yeah, if if I did something that. Hubbard Radio deemed inappropriate to the level of them wanting to fire me, they absolutely have that right to do so. So, And certainly if they wanted to suspend me from being on the air, they have the rights to do that as well. And what I'm saying is the NHL currently doesn't have that ability because it's not written into the CBA, and I think they should. I think there should be something that is written into the next CBA where there is an automatic suspension that is kicked into place if you are found to have had gotten behind the wheel while driving under the influence. I think that's something I, I feel like that's I think most people would agree with that. And I'm, I was very surprised yesterday to find out I was going to have a conversation today about how long is Kasperi Kapanen not going to be with the Blues because of a suspension. 
I was surprised to find that there's nothing in place for that to to happen. And I would assume that that this would, if the NHL does add this, it will wait for the legal process to play out before they would. They wouldn't just hand out the suspension to Kapanen right now. They would probably let things go through court, and then they would they would probably have their own investigation. So he would have the due process through the court system, and then the NHL would wait to see because if the charges were dropped or something didn't happen, they wouldn't suspend sure. him and then go, oh wait, we shouldn't have done that. They would let the legal process play out first, just like all other sports leagues do with most other suspensions correct me if i'm wrong though kapanen did admit to it he apologized for it so it's not like he's denying it and saying that it didn't happen like he did own up to it and apologized for it and he addressed the situation yeah he did say for what it's worth jeremy rutherford tweeted this out yesterday the blues released a statement from both kapanen and from doug armstrong kapanen said i made an unacceptable error in judgment i take full responsibility for my actions i offer my apologies to my family to the blues organizations to my teammates and to the fans i understand the severity of my mistake and am committed to doing everything i can to earn the trust back so that's what Kasperi Kapanen had to say after his incident. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, a little bit of news to pass along both in Major League Baseball and in the NFL. According to the Bengals beat reporter for the Inquirer up in Cincinnati, quote, wide receiver T. Higgins is not believed to be in the Bengals future plans. The two sides, according to this beat writer, never got close to an extension. And unless something shocking happens in the next 24 hours, he's expected to play this season with the Bengals on his current expiring deal. None of that is surprising. Sounds like a future chief to me. Yeah, that n- none of that is surprising. I bet you he ends up on the Panthers a year from now or the Bears, one of those two teams, something like that. And I think it would be a good situation for, for both sides. T. Higgins is the exact type of player that you have to move on from if you're the Bengals, if you're going to sign Joe Burrow to a massive five-year extension. It sucks. You don't want to have to do it. But if you're going to pay your quarterback 55 mil, you got to let go of somebody. You're not letting go of Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is the one that's going to end up having to leave there. The other bit of news, some Cardinals news, T-Bone. Thomas Sejaci has been promoted to AAA. Congratulations to the best player the Cardinals acquired at the trade deadline this year. He has been hitting 331 with an OPS over 1,000 since he was acquired by the Cardinals down in AA. He's going to head his way to AAA for the Memphis Redbirds, and we'll see what he's able to do down there for the last couple of weeks. Man, you could go watch the JC, and what's the other one that they acquired? I always forget uh, his Prado. name. Prado, thank you. Yeah, those guys have been playing really well down in the minor league system. Now you can watch them both for the Memphis Redbirds. Mm. Gotta love it. All right, let's get to One's Gotta Go. You give us four options, we'll tell you which one's gotta go. Let's start with this. One's Gotta Go Nicknames for Tanner Edition, T-Bone, Tan Man, Tea time or tea sizzle? Which one's got to go, T-Bone? Ooh, tea time. That's what they call you on the golf course. Yeah, that almost sounds like I'm hosting like a podcast. It's uh, Tanner on tea time. 
I don't know what we'd be discussing, but um, I'd Tan golf. Man. I'd get rid of Tan Man. I, I'm not a fan of Tan Man. I, that was my nickname in high school. I wish I had a cool hype man like Jamie Rivers to give me a better nickname when I was in high school. It really slowed down my athletic career being called Tan Man. So it's the one that's got to go. Now that you've said that, I think everybody's going to be calling you that even more, unfortunately. Mm. No, what's not? Uh, Tan Man's one that I would get rid of as well. T Sizzle's pretty good. T Time's pretty good. T Bone's great. Uh, but Tan Man's not good. We, we got to get rid of that one. Uh, one's got to go Cardinals Young Starters Edition, boys. Matthew Libertor, Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson, or TK Roby. Which one's got to go? Um, who was the first one? Hudson, who Thompson, Libertor, Hudson, oh, Libertor. Thompson, and yeah. Roby. Okay, I thought Libertor was in here. He's got to go. I don't think he's got a future as a starter for the Cardinals. I can see where they contender Hudson. He comes back like number six, number seven for you. Thompson's been good, and TK Roby's got great upside. So Libertor's out. Yeah, I'm with you. I would I would take Libertor as well. Going back to what I said yesterday, he's had so many opportunities. He's really not taken any of them and ran with it. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing from Hudson and Thompson, they're having their moments this season where they look really good. And Roby, I just I like the uh, the upside of somebody who you don't know who you haven't seen him yet. And uh, hopefully he can have something that the Cardinals lack right now. Uh, but you kind of know what Libertor is at this point. And uh, so I, I'd be uh, booting him out of this. You went with Libertor? Yes. I'd go Hudson. I think Hudson has the lowest ceiling of these four. I think there's still a chance for for Libertor to be a, a reasonable player for the Cardinals. I'm not expecting him to get there, but like the best case scenario for Dakota Hudson is he's a number five starter that eats some innings for you. The best case scenario for Libertor is still a number three starter. And I think the same thing is true for Zach Thompson and TK Roby has a chance to be really good for the Cardinals. He's been great since he's returned from the injured list. So I'll go Dakota Hudson is the guy that I would get rid of because I think the, I think you can find Dakota Hudson's on the scrap heap in major league baseball now. I don't think that I need to keep him around in order to get that kind of production out of him. A ground ball right-handed pitcher. I think that's fair. I just don't – I've lost hope for the ceiling of Libertor as a three. And that's where I'm just like – I think his best role is like a bullpen arm now. That's fair. All right, let's go with this one. Uh, guys, one's got to go Cardinals super utility players. We're only going three here. Edmund, Donovan, Sejaci. Edmund, Donovan. Oh, man. I think I'm going. I want to see CJC. So I'm sorry, Tommy. I love you. But I'm going to say Tommy. I mean, he doesn't have the control. And that's really the determining factor for me. And CJC's got me excited. You just read off his numbers. And whoo, oh, man, I can't wait. Till he's, he's a different kind leagues. of hitter. And I love Donovan. So he's staying. Uh, it's between. I know. I think I'm going to go with CJC. Just, just be, and honestly, it's because I don't know a ton about him. I know what Edmund is. I know what Donovan is. Like you're kind of, you know, with them, you have certainty in what you know they are. So JC, you don't, even though he's young and that could come back to burn you. But knowing what Edmund and Donovan are, I think I'd get rid of him. I wonder what kind of value so JC has in a package now, because he's continued to do this for the Cardinals. And if he keeps doing it at AAA, somebody could look at him and say, "Hey, we could play this guy at second base or third base next year as be a and be a part of our plans at the big league level." I'm not saying he's a headliner, but if you had a package that involves like Avon Herrera. Thomas Sejaci, and then maybe one of the pitchers that you currently have in your system. Maybe it's like a Gordon Graceffo. I think you could get a pretty decent pack or a pretty decent player with that package that we just mentioned there. And you're not giving up anything from your major league roster. So I'd probably go 
I'd go to JC just because he's not a part of your current core. And Tommy Edmund playing center field as well as he has, guys, really changes the way that I look at him. I think he has a real chance to be your starting center fielder next year. I was stunned. I did not receive back-to-back texts after back-to-back catches at the wall that said, how's that for a center fielder? That's a center fielder. I I mean, he can really pick it. It, He is an excellent defender. And I don't say that lightly. An excellent defender in center field. The arm absolutely leaves something to be desired. I am pretending that is not a problem for him, even though it is. But, dude, the way that he plays out there defensively, the number of balls that he's able to get to, super impressive. Hey, join 101 ESPN and Bud Light for Blues and Brews on Friday evening, September 22nd at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. We will all be there in attendance for Blues and Brews. You'll get fired up for this Blues season with an outdoor street party. There will be appearances by Blues players, alumni, food trucks, Blues merch, and 101 ESPN giveaways plus so much more. Tickets are on sale now. You can get them at 101ESPN.com. It's Blues and Brews coming up on September 22nd. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind and give you your final chance here on BK and Ferrario to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. T-Bone and Grant on BK. Been a fun week of shows. If you missed any of them, check them out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can also find those podcasts in YouTube form on YouTube at 101ESPNSTL. That is at 101ESPNSTL. In just a couple of minutes, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean. Let's finish out the show, though, today, T-Bone, by talking about the Cardinals going into the weekend. They're traveling to Cincinnati. They'll be on Apple TV tonight for a national broadcast. You've got Drew Rom, oh boy, going up against the Reds in the devil, devil's lair, according to Adam Wainwright. How you feeling about Rom, Thompson, and Michaelis going into Cincy this week and hoping to play the uh, role of spoiler against the Reds? Well, I'm not feeling great about Rom and Michaelis in Cincinnati because though Michaelis was his numbers look good in his last outing, I thought he got a hit pretty hard, and he's a guy that I'd like to see finish strong down the stretch this season. I'm I'm going to be excited to see what Thompson looks like against a playoff caliber lineup in a very tough place to pitch and see how he looks against the Cincinnati Reds lineup. So he's the guy that I would probably highlight this weekend and say, okay, let's see what he looks like because Cincinnati is the devil's lair. It's tough to pitch in that place, and you're going up against a really good lineup. I'm excited to see what he looks like, and I'm excited to see what Matthew Libertor looks like if he's going to continue to come out of the pen and do short bursts, high max effort innings. I would like to see Liberator get a couple of opportunities this weekend. I think that'd be helpful. Um, I'm really fascinated to see what Thompson looks like against that lineup. I think that is the marquee matchup of the weekend for the Cardinals going up against the Cincinnati Reds. Right now, it is time for you to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean. That concert's coming up on September 15th. You can find more ways to win at 101ESPN.com and on the 101 mobile app, or you can text in right now at 314-399-9646 if you are texture number 101. 
one. And you can tell us where I made my wife furious because I took her there and she didn't know what she was getting into. Where did we go? If you can name that venue, you are texture number 101. Then you are getting the pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean. I'm off on Monday. Alex is back. T-Bone will be in. Grant will be in. We'll talk to you guys next week here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.